My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Whoops, you have to put the CD in your computer. This program contains mature subject matter. Including maladjusted youth, masochistic hillbillies, and the excitement of the price is right. It may be deemed inappropriate for our younger viewers. Viewer discretion advised. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. <laughs> this show is behind the shem shemmers. Yes, it seems. What gives you a choice? Either put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. Yeah, it's a nasty scheme. You maniac! What is a man? You blew it up! Damn you! A miserable little pile of secrets! Damn you all to hell! What is BTS? When we are successful, we will be. We have a real chance with this. Your patience is wearing thin. Why I don't exactly call it work? You know what work is? You don't. Why work's doing something you have to do? When you're doing something that you want to do, like to do, that's play. Now, uh, a good many years ago, I don't like to tell you quite how many, but well, I was born in the first half of the last century, so you can guess how old I am. I worked. And now I'm in the, uh, uh, pretty well along in the next century. And now I exercise a little, but I don't call it work. Uh, I don't call this work. Why, this is play. You see how nice that is? You see many things happen change in your day, Mr. Oh, yes, yes, yes. We live in a world of change. The trees are just the same as they were when I was a boy, only larger. The sun rises in the east and sets in the west. But when I was a boy, we didn't have the telegraph, and we didn't have the telephone, of course, nor the electric lights, nor any of these other things which have come up to bother us and help us. The good old days were pretty good, pretty good. Don't you boys think that you are living in just the best time in the world's history? First rate. But it's no better than uh, our fathers had, and I don't believe it's very much better than our grandchildren. Yes, yes, that's Hudson over there. Nice little city. Why, I remember very well, looking out of my window, I would see anywhere from 10 to 20, hardly ever less than 10 sailing vessels on the river. Now I don't see uh, more than one in three months. Very few steamboats. Everybody went to New York then. If they wanted to go in uh, Duluth style, why, uh, they take a steamboat. If they want to go cheap, they go on one of our river sloops.
As the sun rises in the east, this is episode 146 of Behind the Schemes for April 3rd, 2023. And laying her head down, face in the west, this is Booberry, Black Knight of the Mothman. And all the way from way the hell over here on the bereft coast where the sun rises in the west and sets in the west. My name is Lavish. Everything's west, baby. Everything's west from here and coming up Millhouse. <laughs> all west, all the time. How are you, sir? How are you, Booberry Mothman of the Miniocalypse? I'm doing well, Lavish. It's uh, coming up on Tech Week for the current show I'm in production for. It's Alice in Wonderland. Um, You've put your blood, sweat, and tears into this stage, and the uh, bit by bit, every day, the the whole thing comes together more and more. Man, I'll tell you what, once you can get a clear-ass stage and you have unlimited reigns who work all day, every day, uninterrupted, it's spring break this week, as you see, uh, as they say. Yes. So, uh, I got lots of time to get in there and really just start cranking knobs. Chew into it. Yeah. No distractions. Yeah. Uh, we got a 16-foot curved bridge, footbridge, uh, Installed about nine feet in the air, but at the top part of the arch, it's 13 feet from the floor. Mm. 13. And uh, littered with uh, all kinds of wonderful geometry. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. <laughs> yes, yes. If anybody wants to see those, you can always check them out in the chat over at a hashtag green room, irc.zeronode.net. Yeah, come hang out. It's uh, IRC is the best place to be. Yeah, that's our chat room, by the way. Yeah. You didn't know? There's a quick link, badradio.live. You can check out the stream, which we do live every Monday night at 7.30 Pacific, 9.30 Central, 10.30 Eastern. Uh, we're also live on the No Agenda stream, courtesy of Sir Ryan Bimrose. Indeed. You never know. This is episode 146, but you never know. It could be uh, the first time someone hears the show. Tonight, you never know. It could be the last time. That the could be the last time. <laughs> it could be the last time. I don't know. Um, how you doing? How was uh, how was your past week? Yeah, it's good. Uh, things are uh, get, getting heated over here because the weather's getting nice, and my sister's wedding is coming up. So Ooh. there's uh, all kinds of fun uh, wedding-related activities that are in my near future. So I'm kind of preparing myself for that. Well, that should be nice. Weddings are fun. Yeah. And then I don't know if I told you, but uh, I'm a, I'm an uncle. Uh, my uh, my my cousin, who's basically my brother, he he just had uh, his first, and so we've just welcomed the first of our generation of of kids. We finally got some kids going around here, so that's nice. Nice. Yeah, so you could say it's been a nice spring. Take that, global elitist douche pricks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, no matter what crazy stuff we talk about on this show, I just you know the the greatest act of rebellion you could ever do is to live and enjoy your life as best you can. Damn straight. Yeah, they hate that. <laughs> they hate that. They hate that. They're trying to stop that. <laughs> and here's really ten, hard. Here's ten reasons why. <laughs> Ooh. Someone had to put together a, a goat. Very wholesome. Yes, and uh we'll we'll have to address Mary Kate Ultra's boost here um uh probably a little later in the program. Uh we did have uh a, a brief conversation about um 
<laughs> Put it back together two goats. <laughs> it's uh, what you're hearing there is the sound of boostergrams, which is Bitcoin sent over the Lightning Network, uh, utilizing a nude podcast app. And uh, both of those goats were boosted back together from uh, Make Heroism and Mary Kate Ultra. The and, dynamic duo. And uh, Make Heroism said, Four Cedar, the goats, and Mary Kate Ultra follows it up with Four Cedar. Mm, for Cedar the goat. <sighs> yes, Cedar. I wish we could have got our own hands on Cedar. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the story, there was a 4-H uh, livestock competition auction type deal. The daughter of uh, who had one of the do- goats that got put up one got cold feet because the goat was going to get auctioned and um, she wanted to keep it as a pet. And then the 4-H state fair committee took it upon them to deliberately go out of their way to educate this poor little girl. They ended up telling the cops that her and her mom stole this goat. So they sent the cops like 500 miles across the state of California to <laughs> retrieve this goat. She offered the mom offered to pay for it, pay the uh, the guy that won the auction off. They weren't having it. You have to learn uh, responsibility. You have to go through the proper goat channels. This isn't just uh, you know we didn't get all these goats by finding them in the woods. You know people, right? The proper channels. Although apparently people are really into putting some goats back together. That was Mary Kate Ultra coming in twice with the ninety nine ninety nine sat saying, uh, "Never forget George Bush reading the story of the pet goat." And she's right. True story. I bet. She's I, right. bet I bet. Uh, I bet George was a pet goat. He was a goat. Yeah. You know, when I go, I, when I read Charlie Robinson's book again, because we had him on recently, and if you haven't listened to that episode, check it out. But you know, I did a once over again of uh, the Octopus of Global Control, and he makes a very stellar point that George W. Bush probably was had some sort of like learning deficiency or something. And you go back and you look at his speeches and you look at him talking like, yeah, he might, I don't know what it is, but I don't know how that guy got through Harvard or Yale or whatever. There's no way. Lots and lots and lots of Coke. Uh, yeah. You know how much uh, Coke and drinking you had to do to get a DUI back in the seventies. You break <laughs> all of it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh man! Well, thank you for the boostergrams. We'll um, we'll catch up on all of the other ones that came uh, came through during this past week. Uh, right before we get to, uh, ooh, <laughs> watch your head! Oh God! It just—it's like that—the smell just like washes over. Yeah, it's like a spray, like a mist. Oh, um, yeah, we'll get to those a, a little later. Uh, we're just, we're trying a little shift in the structure, you know, seeing how, seeing what, it, how it tastes. Uh, regardless of all that, we still will start this production off with a tarot card for tonight. And, and what a card it is. Yeah. I went and, uh, I pulled out a very special deck to me. This deck is called the spirit speak deck and it was a gift. It was the first tarot deck that I was ever, uh, that I ever owned. Um, and, uh, the card from it is the King of Swords. 
The King of Swords. Which we've seen twice that I know of. Can you, uh, not to put you on the spot, but do you know the, the exact ones? Um, I want to say Larry was on one of them. Uh, yes, so I do remember that. Jesus was a great shot. And nice. the other one was m- more recent. Uh, I'll see what I can. I'll see what I can find here. But from the in this the King of Swords in this particular deck, this is a very kind of uh, paired back sort of artist. You know, there's no literal representation. Yeah, there's no literal representation of a king on a throne with his crown and his sword. What you'll see is uh, an illustration of a sword, the crown, uh, you, the the. There's a lot of air blowing underneath of a pair of scales that's sort of balanced over the king's index finger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that's the Libra symbol emblazoned on the palm of the hand, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to find it, but I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, and it doesn't show up in my Pepe uh, tarot deck there. In front- Libra is an earth sign, isn't it? That, uh, no, the three air signs are Gemini. Earth is what I said. Is it an, uh, let's see. Sorry, getting a little nitpicky here. The Libra is an air sign. You're right. Hot and wet are the qualities. (laughs) Well, well, well. Good for you, Libras. Yes. Uh, (laughs) We air signs tend to get pretty hot and wet sometimes. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, the Gemini is... Hot and dry? I don't know. Let's see. Gemini. Earth sign is hot and wet. Hot mm. and wet. Well, that I've been called that in the past, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. Hey, you're hot and wet. Did you know that? Now I have. Now I have. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh, man. Finally. Finally, Jesus. Oh, Lavish also has a buttery voice. <laughs> uh, straight from the, the book associated with the Spirit Speak deck, it says, An authority figure who is stern and fair. He is a good judge because he has known great pain and turmoil. Because of this, he is not wrapped up in the material world greed or that which will distract you from your, uh, from your true path. Hmm. Yes. You have a singular focus in mind. You got a goal, and you have nothing but the will to achieve said goal. That's right. The The sword is a razor-sharp, straight-to-the-point, cut-in-the-Gordian's-knot tool. You're not creating with wands. Uh, you're not paying people off with the pentacles. You are using your will, and you are using your strength to go, uh, and your discipline, and, in a way, your integrity. To accomplish your goals. And being the king, you've certainly been around. You've seen yeah. some action. You've served on the line, you know, you've been a, a squire and a prince, and now you're running the show. Or so they say. <laughs> well, hopefully your keen intellects will uh, protect you against the, the wiles of a, of a spineless and cowardly court. Indeed, a bunch of weasels who wish to vie for your position. Uh, a literal snake's den. And uh, the, the card 
a lot of these cards that have qu uh, positive qualities can also sort of imply uh, shortcomings or things that you need to look out for. So with a king, yes, you're in charge. Yes, you're, you're disciplined and awesome. But you also might be rigid. You also might be a little too strict. You might be uh, traditional, too traditional, or too stubborn in your ways. You might so be, these are the things. You might be lopping so, all the heads off of your wives. Yeah, you might be, you know, making your own religion so you can get more of that sweet poon. And if you've gotten to that point, then sorry, you're a dick. <laughs> I find these terms acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why they're the king, you know? Oh, man. Uh, I got uh, some quick keywords from Labyrinthos. Uh, reason, authority, discipline, integrity, morality, serious, high standards, and strict. Mm-hmm. Very focused. Yeah, so all those apply. Yes. Cool. Sweet. Yeah. I Remember, like people, the sword is double-edged. Double-edged. No doubt. It can attacketh and defendeth. It protect, it attack, but most importantly, it smoke crack. <laughs> Hit or miss. I guess she doesn't miss, huh? It's just a shame she didn't have a wood chipper. Agreed. Uh, it looks like, oh, I don't actually see the King of Swords immediately. Well, I'll need to, uh, circle back because I know we saw it recently. I know it's now, in there. We'll find it out. Another spreadsheet to make. Ooh, yeah. That would be very interesting data to track over it a would long be. enough, uh, time, time frame. Yeah. Yeah. We could uh, see if the uh, law of averages is applying to anything or if it. If it's truly summoning the correct card for the for the oh, situation. Here we go. Episode 67, Plastic Shit Sample. <laughs> Smelly. <laughs> Pfeiffer decided to get strict with the gimp and toasted him. Yeah. Lit him up. 88, 88 sats. That poor son of a bitch had no idea what was coming. No arguments, Batman. Damn, and all of it's coming through Fountain. Nice. Uh, nice. 67 was when we had the Japan what guys on. Uh-huh. Okay. That was a while ago. Yeah. But I could have sworn there was another one. Anyways. Uh, if well, anyway. You, if you want to check out that tarot card, you can always head over to zososcorner.substack.com. That's where we keep all of our show notes, the links to any clips or videos that we might bring, show notes, articles, show arts, uh, donation, producer credits. All of it's there for your pleasure. Yeah, we we try to cover as much ground on just that one page so you can get to everything from there. Zososcorner.substack.com. This being episode 146. Yep. And this is a value for value production, meaning that everything that we put out on the interwebs, we do it totally free so that you may enjoy it. And if there's anything that you did enjoy, uh, consider turning around and supporting this production, whether it be through donations, clips, ISOs, music, anything and everything you want it to be. Indeed, uh, because uh, we don't read ads or don't have corporate sponsorship, uh, we just depend the people on people who get value out of the show. If you spend a little time listening to our show, then what is that worth to you? What is your time worth to you? And uh, that is different for everybody. So... Uh, yeah, as Booberry said, anything helps and everything helps. And you are indeed the producer of this show. Even by listening to the show, you're just a producer. That's how it works. Yeah, baby. Oh!
Yes, the camera loves your nastiness. Do a commercial, you're off the artistic roll call. Every word you say is suspect. You're a corporate whore, and uh, end of story. That were, like, when, before 3D was 3D. Take these meds. These meds will help you. It's, it's, it's just, it's wet everywhere. It is wet everywhere. <laughs> Hot and wet, apparently. <laughs> uh, we are also going to get into some scream mails right before we go to intermission. So, six one two two six three seven nine 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 is that telephone number that you're going to want to call. Leave us a scream mail, and we'll be hearing from you very, very, very soon. Mm-hmm. And if your voice shy, you can always just text too. Yes, you can. You absolutely can text that number. Um, that number being 612-263-7999. And uh, what are you thinking for the dice battle? The dice battle, we'll say, uh, hmm. How about the 12-sided? Okay. And, uh, oh gosh, where's my 12-sided? There it is. How about... Uh, Let's see if anybody gets double digits. Double digits will. Double digits will go first. I like it. Double digits will go first on the D12. Yeah. Read my dice because uh, Make Heroism defaced it with that last boop, uh, boost. Oh. Anyway, I got a five. I got a four. All right, reroll. Well, I got a one. I got a seven. Reroll. Got a four. Got a ten. Yeah. Ooh. There you go. Okay. Nice. Uh oh, I lost my whip. Where's my whip? Does anybody see my whip? Give me back my whip. There it is. Yeah. Well, Give me back my whip. I'm going to start off with something super fun and super lighthearted. Actually, everything that I have for tonight is kind of on the lighthearted side. You know? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. I, I will say that uh, just based off of trying to get this uh, other show open, a lot of my resources and just mental RAM is being directed towards that. So after we get this show open, I'll be uh, getting back into some more of the heavier, meatier stuff, I think. Mm. I- I'm feeling it. It's been a while. I don't want to get rusty, man. You're hungry. <laughs> oh, another Cedar Boost. Every- Bully Steed wants to put these goats back together. Everybody does. Justice for Cedar. Justice for Cedar. Justice for Cedar. <laughs> if you want to put a goat back together again, you can boost us 99.99 Satoshis. Cedar? I barely know her. <laughs> dom says you can mentally ram him oh my god that's disgusting you freaking pervert gross (laughs) filthy disgusting foul delicious absolutely delicious Mm. Mm. (laughs) kind of cool it's not all dudes here (laughs) <laughs> for once finally yes God, jesus 
Sweet, now I don't have to run my homo cult. <laughs> um, the first thing that I wanted to get into, I saw this uh, get retweeted by Matthew P.M. Bigelow. The, uh, there was a giant catalog of Russo-Japanese war footage and Imperial Palace events footage released uh, from the National Film Archives in Japan. And it's uh, currently they just released 87 different pieces of uh, footage. Some of them are recorded movies and other ones are like news movie uh, movie news produced from the year. Um, Some of it was uh, shot by a British photographer who was traveling with the Japanese army uh, when they were fighting Russia. Um, Cool. Yeah. And it's I mean, it's 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 kind of badass. Out of another world. Um, unfortunately, this is an audio-only podcast, and all of this is silent footage, so it really wouldn't uh, do much for anybody here listening to sit here and watch through any of this. Um, I will also kick the BTS stream. See what happens. Yes, so just getting the stream lined up. Meanwhile, people keep pasting these goats back together, and Lord knows we've got plenty of severed goats laying around. Bully Seed with another ninety nine ninety nine saying, Justice for Cedar! It's it's a fucked up story. Uh, mm. Who was it? No, Beret posted it over at spook.social. Well worth checking out. Well worth checking out. Nice. Thanks, No, Beret. Um, but this first link that I dropped into the chats, it's uh, footage from a harbor on some boats sailing in. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, it's 1917, I believe, was this one. I, I was trying oh, to find... Yeah. Um, I mean, I was trying to find a way to get translations of these and then post them into the show notes. Um, there, I wasn't really getting that much luck, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, the other one that I got, there was one of some palace footage that I was watching through. Um, oh, the, uh, should be this oh, one. Did you get the Google Translate uh, for uh, just directly under the video? It popped up for me. It, it was. I was trying to find a full translated list for all 87 pieces. Ah, okay. So you can see kind of which each one was. Uh, but that next link is some footage of the palace. A lot of this is just people working fields, uh, working sort of uh, uh, factory jobs. You know, there's the 1937 was one of them. So industry had finally hit Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, it's crazy. It's just a different land, different time. I'm going to read a caption of one of these, if that's all right. Uh, we have a, vid- a, a video of an explosion accident that occurred in May 1917 at the Tokyo Warehouse Company near the mouth of Osaka and Anjikawa. Uh, 43 dead. The first half of the reddish color is the burning warehouse from the riverbed to the camera, and the second half is the yellow dyeing, dye as in like clothing, like a uh, color dye, uh, depicts rescue work and an explosion site where smoke is not yet submerged. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that's kind of a rough translation. The third one that I got linked is actually some, uh, some of the footage of the soldiers, uh, in, on the battlefield. 
Uh, I haven't been able to find anything of them actually fighting. Uh, so a lot of this is drills, inspections, things of mm-hmm. that nature. Um, but if I recall, they're actually set to release a ton. Um, I think there was over five. Oh, excuse me, not five hundred. Uh, fifty thousand videos. Wow! And they're going to be releasing them slowly but surely. That's wonderful. You could probably make some really sweet supercuts and just uh, put them on in the background at a party or something. You know? Absolutely. Or I think, at a bar. I think I want to add this one to the. Um, we I I do have a pinned post for the BTS account on Spook. That's uh, kind of the working art thread, trying to find a public dumping spot for um, art ideas. And this stuff would be really good in there, I think. Yeah, it'd be beautiful. Um, So, yeah, that's uh, certainly well worth checking out. I I highly recommend um, just going and scrubbing through and, you know, check check out a whole different time. Yeah, you can, we've got links in the show notes, and we've also got links in the chat. You in the chat? Um, the next little piece that I got actually comes from that same part of the world, uh, although this is <laughs> a little bit of a more modern story. Uh, this one comes from Zero Hedge. What do you feel about Zero Hedge? Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't trust them. I don't trust Zero Hedge, but I respect them. I think out of all of the sort of uh, is edgy the right word, mm-hmm. the, the sort of fringe publications, this might be one of the ones I appreciate more. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, here's the headline Unprecedented Chinese genetic experiment may lead to army of radiation resistant super soldiers. Finally. <laughs> Uh, scientists were seeking to push through barriers with Frankenstein-like experiments on genes. Uh, a Chinese team behind extreme animal gene experiments says it may lead to super soldiers who can survive nuclear f- uh, fallouts. The project was first unveiled in the uh, Military Medical Sciences magazine or journal, Chinese language journal. And uh, <laughs> there's, it's getting a little bit of a public outcry. But it's also getting defended as uh, total, totally legal. By as long as it's legal, then it's okay, right? Yeah. It means it's the right thing to do. There's nothing on the book saying that I can't do this. It's not technically illegal for me to, to manipulate you know, people in the genome like that. It's perfectly cool. <laughs> uh, military scientists said that they inserted a gene from the microscopic water bear into human embryonic stem cells and significantly increased the cell's resistance to radiation. Are you whoa, the, whoa, 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 whoa. You know what a the water, water bear. Oh, yeah. You're talking about, what was it a tardigrade? Yeah. You're talking about the most resilient, the most diabolically powerful creature on the planet Earth? <laughs> Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Doesn't matter. They're going to come for you. You're going to freeze them. In ice for thousands of years, doesn't matter. You're going to put them out where there's no atmosphere, doesn't matter. You thought the honey badger didn't give a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I got a rude-ass awakening for you. Someone once said that if aliens came to Earth out of the blue and never been here before, they wouldn't be held uh, as incorrect for thinking that this is the planet 
of the tardigrades of the water bear and not of man. (laughs) This is tardigrade land, boy. (laughs) And I pray that I'm saying that correctly. Uh, Yeah. Wow. If you combine those two things, a man and a water bear, there's no telling what you can accomplish. They said success in this unprecedented experiment could lead to super tough soldiers. Um, they, yep, we got all that. Uh, tardigrades are tiny, cute, and virtually indestructible. I'm reading from the article here. Quote, the microscopic, microscopic animals are able to survive in a pot of boiling water at the bottom of a deep sea trench or even in the cold, dark, vacuum of space. Uh, and here, here comes the fun part. Um, they were using CRISPR technology, according to Zero Hedge, to insert the genes. Of course, yeah. If it Uh, ain't broke, I uh, the it could produce shield-like proteins, which could uh, protect against radiation. They found a way to introduce this gene into human DNA using CRISPR slash Cas9, a gene editing tool now available now available in most bio labs. (laughs) <laughs> you better believe uh in their laboratory every gen and tech in the world's got one uh in their laboratory experiment nearly 90 percent of the human embryonic cells carrying the water bell gene survived a lethal lethal exposure to x-ray radiation according to the team um and adding an alien gene from the water bear into human embryonic cells could lead to harmful mutations. Um, they are acknowledging no. some uh, quote-unquote unknowns. Um, oh. We could even kill the cells uh, because of the genetic gap between the two species. The shielding proteins are unique to the water bears. Their immunity response after cross-species expression is unknown, and it could lead to some safety issues. You don't say. Uh, but they're wanting it. Uh, they're wanting to use it with uh, treating acute radiation sickness for first responders, military personnel, or anyone near a nuclear fallout zone. They also uh, foresee the era of the future super soldier, genetically altered humans capable of sur- uh, surviving nuclear apocalypse. Do they say if they can do this to you later in life, or do they have to do this while you're like in an embryonic phase, or? embryonic state uh just based off of this article looks like embryonic only but uh, i mean who's to say you can't just code it up in a shot and just boom you got uh, water bear powers <laughs> still there you go one step closer to gattaca and uh, <laughs> excuse me not the i'm not enunciating very well tonight <laughs> one step closer to gattaca and i'm about to break <laughs> Well, they do it with tomatoes. You know, they put trout DNA in tomatoes. So it's, it's, this has been coming. Cloning uh, sheep. Yeah. Pouring one but out for this Dolly. This is actually, what's that? Pouring one out for Dolly. Mm-hmm. You know, at the very start of this, I was sort of uh, wary of this topic, but, but me being uh, mutated with a water bear, that's kind of, uh, it's kind of badass. I mean, Who's to say you couldn't just get any sort of animal? Wait, that makes them a chimera. Hmm. Now we're going really back to basics. Back old school. Ancient Egypt. (laughs) 
half man, half jackal type shit. And uh, I do have a bonus. Actually, it's two. It's two minutes left. Two minutes too long. Never mind. Get it out of here. Yeah, <laughs> Alex Jones sounds the alarm about talking chimeras. <laughs> oh damn! Is, is it is it too long? Two minutes and twenty seconds. Ah, oh, it seems fine to me. Humans won't be told, and the Congress won't discuss, and there will be no raw, but a total void on all the genetic experiments. Just a few weeks ago, I called a press conference, and I brought up the fact that human-animal hybrids is one of the biggest threats to our species. You see humanoids, they're like 80% gorilla, 80% pig, and they're talking? I never told the story on air because it's so fantastical. They had in tanks people with gills and they were little babies and they were in there just gulping, clawing at the sides. You see a turtle at the zoo and it wants out and you feel for it. They got humanoids crossed with fish and stuff. I mean, I mean, we are screwed, people. The cross animal-human hybrids. Part human, part ape, part human, part monkey, part human, part dog, part human, part insect, part jellyfish. That's part human, part insect, part human, part... <laughs> Uh, reptile, part human, part fish. Putting human DNA into corn. I'm pro-human. One time in a pizza place, when I was covering spider goats, they're creating aliens on this planet. Human-animal chimeras are gestating, just like an alien. Human-pig hybrids for organ transplant can develop into monsters with our brains. Humanoids gestating in the bellies of cows, pigs, Cheap in the uterus, in utero. You think they're in wearing spacesuits down here on Earth? <laughs> these facilities where they're doing the human animal chimera testing? No, they're not. It's wild. I'm forcing human animal chimeras out. Human animal hybrids, cross species chimera. Human animal chimeras. Animals have rights, and humans have rights, but chimeras, cross species, are in the dead zone. There is no wrong. And of course, the humanoid is made part cow, so it doesn't have rights, but it's a human. You think they want a discussion about animal-human chimeras? I said, I don't believe we have a colony on Mars, but we've already, with chimeras, human-animal hybrids, created stuff that's alien here on Earth. I'm Alex Jones, and you have been warned. Human insect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I approve this message. And I approve this message. Uh, and I believe it came from a presentation that I never got into. Um, there was a Netflix show that dropped last year, a year before last, and some crazy deer kid was born, and he was the chosen one. And Oh, I do recall this. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, get excited for Water Bear Soldiers. That'll well, be fun. It, moral of the story, if you are the Chimera, then yes, you are the chosen one. I mean, I'm sorry. if you, if you, if you had the choice to be the cho chosen one and they made you a chimera, is there anything that comes to the top of your mind that you would choose to merge with? What would be my, my top choice Yeah, to merge with? Uh, could it be any animal or does it have to be, uh, not extinct in this day and age? Uh, let's open it up. Anything or everything. If it was anything. Ever, it'd have to be a mega sloth or sloth, as they say. <laughs> that would be my, that's probably my favorite cryptid that we haven't, you know, I don't bring it up a lot, but I think the mega sloth, the mega sloth. Mega sloth. 
Yeah, man, those things were fast. They weren't slow. They were they were badass. They were like uh, grizzly bears, but even crazier, <laughs> even slothier, even slothier. <laughs> and they were mega, mega sloth. Oh man, you know what things I could accomplish in my life? A little mega sloth. What? I mean, I could just like climb up trees really fast. If anybody fuck with me, I could just climb up a building and get away and then jump on them and then claw them to death. <laughs> the nuclear elbow drop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the coldest, stonest, cold stoner you ever saw. <laughs> and if anyone threw beers at me, I could catch them easily. Yeah, wrap your crazy long ass sloth, mega sloth fingers around it. <laughs> Although ever since uh, ever since you brought uh, Peter the Dolphin to light, I think a lot of people out there are thinking about maybe merging with a dolphin. <laughs> Just to show that they are a good boy. I am a good boy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, other than the moth, what, what would you choose? <laughs> oh, how trendy of you. <laughs> Come on. Come on, guy. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'd have to go with something super obnoxious. I'm not sure what that would be. Well, then you would have to be a dolphin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. I don't know. A, uh, I really don't a, know. Uh, a cicada. <laughs> uh, uh, the most obnoxious thing of all. Yeah, but then they, I don't know. I just don't want to leave, like, I don't want that to be my thing where I just leave, like, full-sized skin husk of me laying around everywhere. Stuck to your yeah. van. Stuck just to your molting. window. Yeah, just yeah. <laughs> molting giant blueberry sacks. <laughs> All right, molting giant blueberry sacks. Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that the main thing is that uh, we don't get to choose. Uh, they're going to be like, well, we haven't merged anybody with a, uh, a koala yet. So, oh, great. I get stuck with the STDs. Perfect. Oh, nice. Bamboo, my favorite. Thank you. <laughs> Can't wait. Yay. <laughs> Honey Badger, that's Bully Seed's choice. Ah, fuck it. I'm going to be a cat boy. Cat boy. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Despite going to hang out in Japan with all the other cat boys. Despite Cold Acid's best efforts. Who gives a fuck about cat boys? Whoa. I know. We're like Cold Hater. <laughs> Open your mind, man. Jeez, gee willikers, man. <laughs> um, let's see here. I got one last thing that I wanted to get into because I'm thinking I have a new submission for the uh, for some portrait art in the green room. Ooh, portrait art like uh, like presidential portraits. You know, we got the Bill Hicks, we got a notorious Urungus over here, Charlton Heston. I'm thinking mm-hmm. Hunter I'm, S. I'm thinking there's another dude that could be a uh, a contender. 
I don't know what that was. <laughs> was that Noah Trevor? <laughs> no, I think I fucked up one of my links. Um, Ramesses the second. Are you familiar? Uh, the one whose works that I look upon in despair. <laughs> the one and only, <laughs> aka Ozymandias. Ooh, yeah, yeah, I heard of this guy. Uh, so two thousand ram uh, mummified rams heads were found in an ancient Egyptian city of uh, Abydos, A-B-Y-D-O-S. I'll take it. And uh, this is quite a collection of ram's heads. Wow. It's wild. Um, I I will find my not jacked up link here for you, too. There it is. That's a lot of heads. I'm trying a new uh, formatting for the HTML. I've got the, uh, I think it's an open dyslexia font on to see if it can kind of help me parse this a little better. Um, you know, what's funny is I, I have uh, Stargate, the original movie, Stargate going in the other room right now. Oh, nice. <laughs> so I, I like this a lot. And I think uh, C-Dubs is right when he says Abydos was in SG-1. And then you got the King of Swords, just saying. Just saying. Oh, <laughs> nice. The I like Ni- this. The Nile is hot and wet. <laughs> uh, 2000 mummified uh, ram's heads dating from the Ptolemaic Pot- uh, period. Ptolemaic uh, period. Say it one more time. Ptolemaic. Ptolemaic period. And the P is silent. If you know what I mean. They found mummified ewes, 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 like female uh, rams, dogs, wild goats, cows, gazelles, and mongooses uh, in the temple, along with the ram's heads. Mongooses? I thought they were mongeese. Anyway, please. And this is a uh, Reuters article. Um, oh, God. Uh, they were thought to be votive offerings indicating continuing reverence for Ramesses II at the site. And uh, these were placed about a thousand years after his death. The discoveries would expand the knowledge of the site over a period of more than two millennia up to the Ptolemaic period. <laughs> mm-hmm. Got uh, it. Nailed it. That period spanned about three centuries until the Roman conquest in 30 B.C., Abydos, located in the Egyptian government of Sohag, uh, it's, it's about 270 miles south of Cairo, is one of Egypt's major, though lesser, visited archaeological sites. Uh, and it was a necropolis for early ancient Egyptian royalty. Um, one of my favorite words, necropolis. Yeah, that's a good one. It was the center of worship for the god Osiris. Per- mm-hmm. Perfect spot. Perfect spot. Excellent. The prime of primes. Uh, alongside the mummified rem- animal remains, uh, the archaeological team uncovered a large palatial structure with walls approximately five meters thick from the Old Kingdom's Sixth Dynasty, in, uh, in addition to several statues, uh, papyrus, ancient tree remains, and leather garments and shoes. Mm. And uh, I came across this story, I think actually Spaz sent this one to me, and I... Went and pulled a couple of clips uh, indicating some of Ramses II's accomplishments 
and I think there's some interesting stuff. This is what I am bringing to tonight's table uh, as an offering to see if he's worthy of putting up on the uh, the badass wall of badass is. Is there a yes. name for it? The badass wall of badasses? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, One of the things that this dude, dude did is he negotiated one of the first peace treaties in the world and recorded history. A couple of years have passed since the Battle of Kadesh, enough time for both sides to regain their strength and get ready for round two. This happened around Ramesses' seventh year as pharaoh. He took the Egyptian army into Syria again, but faced a similar scenario, one that his father had also encountered. Even if he did conquer new lands, he simply could not keep them. As soon as he left, those kingdoms either went independent again or fell under the hegemony of the Hittites, who fanned the flames of rebellion from afar and encouraged any kind of uprising against Egypt. Ramesses led yet another military campaign into Syria in his eighth regnal year, but even though he made it further up north than ever before, reaching a lost city called Dapur, it was still just rinse and repeat. When the pharaoh went to play, the Hittites came to play. As we said, Ramesses had ambitious goals he wanted to achieve. He couldn't spend his entire reign trading border cities with Hattusa, especially when it became quite clear that neither empire was strong enough to gain a decisive upper hand over the other. Therefore, once that third Syrian campaign had ended, the feud between Egypt and Hattusa took a time out, with the two powerhouses living side by side in a labored peace. Their tense relationship culminated in 1258 BC, a landmark moment in history when Ramesses II and Hattusili III, king of the Hittite Empire, signed the Treaty of Kadesh, the world's earliest known peace treaty. It happened during the 21st regnal year of Ramesses, 16 years after the Battle of Kadesh. The treaty was written on silver tablets in two languages, Egyptian hieroglyphics and Akkadian cuneiform, and one copy was given to each civilization. The silver originals are long gone, but copies were made on clay tablets, and some of them still survive to this day, with one replica even adorning the walls of the United Nations building in New York City. Tablets are nicer all, but the Egyptians cool. like to go big, and so they carved their version of the treaty into the temple walls at Karnak. Perhaps the most surprising aspect Karnak. was that the peace actually lasted. The cynics amongst you must have suspected that this was merely a stalling tactic, as each side waited for the perfect opportunity to pounce on the other when it was weak, but that didn't happen. The Hittites had a new threat to contend with in the form of the Assyrians, so uh, they were glad to get Egypt off their backs. The peace lasted for around 80 years until the collapse of the Hittite Empire under invasions by Assyria and the Sea Peoples. Use pronounced use. Thank you, Bully Steed. Use pronounced use. Thank yous. Uh, and we'll come to find out that Ramesses uh, II was pretty big into carving shit into walls. Um, yes, and uh, and carving shit into all kinds of things, silver, clay, but I mean, and like, stone. What a what a total Chad move to carve the first peace treaty into tablets of silver in two languages, so that you can read them both. A contract saying that we agree to peace. That and was it, very di- uh, diverse and multicultural of him to do that. Eighty years. We're yeah. talking about the original globalism here. This guy was trying to make it big, people. Yeah, after after he cleared this up, he I think it was Libya uh, that he kind of turned his attention to. Uh, there was a city, mm-hmm. Pyramuses, that he ended up building. Um, I did. I was going to bring some clips, change my mind. Um, but we'll hear a little bit about that town 
in this next one. And not only was he known as uh, a diplomat, a negotiator, a warrior, there was stories where it was claimed that he took on an entire tribe of warriors by himself. He'd gotten separated from his, uh, from his platoon caravan, uh, whatever you call it. Um, and I'm going to need a source on that. <laughs> and he ended up taking the entire tribe down while he was on his chariot, just using a bow and arrow. Well, I actually almost think that that may be true because a badass with a bunch of great weaponry on a great chariot with some great horses is uh, going to take out a few commoners. I can tell you that no problem. One of his earlier battles, it was a, it was a huge skirmish of, um, I guess skirmish isn't even the right word, but it was one of the largest amassments of chariots uh, mm-hmm. ever seen. And there's lots of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Lots of, um, I guess, illustrations of the battle. So they have a pretty good count of how many. Oh, it's well documented. Well documented, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, if, you, if you don't mind me asking, what is it documented on? Clay tablets or, or on the stone? I'll have to see if I can find that. I don't know. Mm. I will say just my one add to this is that the silver, all of there's a lot of uh, historical information that, that people accept historians accept to be gone because they were written on something valuable. Silver and gold tablets never make it through history because eventually someone gets their hands on them and they're melted down or whatever, or thrown into the basement of the Vatican, whatever you want to believe. But uh, the clay tablets and the stone, they make it because nobody gives a shit about them. Yeah, no one's trying to scrap it. Yeah. So just uh, an aside there. The um, This next clip uh, gets into a little bit of, uh, I guess, what some would deem his propaganda tactics. He was a master at propaganda. We can all name some recent world leaders who used propaganda to skew the facts. For instance, uh, some presidents have claimed to have won on a landslide, despite so. the fact that they only won <laughs> due to an outdated system that meant they could lose the national vote tally by millions and still win if they got enough votes in certain places. Stay salty. But Ramesses II was the granddaddy of propaganda. Not now, though. He made sure that at any and every opportunity, the people of Egypt realized just how amazing he was. The story about him supposedly single-handedly fighting a tribe is one example. Here's another. He built a new capital city within his land and named it Pyramuses Asnaktu. This literally translates to the domain of Ramesses great in victory. That would be like if Washington DC was called Washington beat the British and was a great president. I would be okay with that if they made that change to Washington DC in the title. <laughs> it would be uh, an improvement. <laughs> we're getting we're getting closer. We're getting back to it. <laughs> what helped Ramesses II spread his propaganda was that he was able to build like crazy. All across his realm, he constructed buildings which were filled with hieroglyphic tales of how incredible he was. And he didn't just place propaganda on his own buildings. He also extensively renovated many of Egypt's existing temples, ensuring that they all had statues of him looking strong and powerful with inscriptions that also explain that he was strong and powerful just in case the gigantic statues didn't spell it out clearly enough. Ramesses II was even smart enough to train people to be the best possible propagandists for him. 
For example, in at least one of the temples he built, Ramesseum, there was a school for scribes. The students of this school would spend long days learning the best possible ways to write about Ramesses II in suitably epic ways. Who knows, perhaps one of the students of this school came up with a story of Ramesses II fighting off a warrior tribe single-handedly. <laughs> if you think about it, training scribes to talk about how good you are is a pretty smart move. Most people of the time only had an extremely limited education, meaning that those who had been trained to exaggerate Ramesses II's accomplishments must have been amazing at convincing the people that he was nothing short of a superhero. That's what we should do. We should start training scribes. And uh, so that way, only the only people that know or can say anything about us are nerds from the future who look back and they, they're the only people that can understand those hieroglyphs and they go, wow, this guy was a Chad. <laughs> this guy was a real man's man. This guy, he wrote books and he slaughtered people on his chariot. It's literally written on the wall. Yeah, it's written on all the walls. <laughs> it is the wall. It's the wall. It's the It's everything. <laughs> Everywhere you go, that's why people remember this guy. He was the original, uh, you know, Bernays. He went around doing PR. I did, uh, I was able to queue up uh, some of the biographics clip of the Battle of uh, Kadesh. That's the one with the great. Um, yeah, the famous battle. chariot battle. Yeah. Kadesh. Uh, if you want to hear it, I can play that for you, or we can um, keep moving with the clips I do have prepared. Sure. Uh, uh, how, I'm sure the Kadesh one's fine. How long is it? I don't know. It's straight from the video. Oh. Yeah, that's the thing. Mystery oh. meat. <laughs> a rare a rare serving from Booberry. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay, go. Ramesses was in his early 20s when he assumed power. My boy Simon from Biographics. Training I like it. He's been awarded all sorts of fancy titles and positions since he was a child. He was still a greenhorn when it came to actual military matters. Even so, he showed himself to be quite eager to go on the warpath and actually guard his most famous tribe just a few years into his seven-decade reign when he fought the Hittites at the Battle of Kadesh. Now, the city of Kadesh was very important to Ramesses, both from a strategic and a personal perspective. It was a valuable military asset because it was a fortified city and a major trading center located between the borders of the Egyptian and Hittite empires at a time when the two powers often butted heads with one another. Remember, this was 3,300 years ago, and moving an entire army through the Syrian desert was a tricky proposition. Having a city like Kadesh on your side to serve as your base of operations could mean the difference between victory and defeat, which is why both Egypt and Hattusa wanted to control it. Then, on a personal level, capturing Kadesh had been Seti's greatest achievement. He was unable to keep it, though, and Kadesh fell under Hittite dominion again soon after the pharaoh left, so Ramesses may have wanted to finish what his father had started. Therefore, he immediately set to work building a grand army to drive the Hittites from Syria once and for all. In 1274 BC, only five years into his reign, the forces were ready and the omens were auspicious, so the Egyptian army marched on Kadesh. Battle of Kadesh is also special, because thanks to detailed inscriptions from both sides, it might be the most well-documented military conflict in all of ancient history. Ramesses had 20,000 soldiers on his side, split into four divisions, Amun, Re, Set, and Ptah. 
We don't have exact figures for the Hittites, who were led by King Muatali II, but they were joined by 19 different vassals, so presumably they weren't hurting for soldiers. One notable thing about this battle was the large number of chariots that were used. Each side deployed around 2,500, making this possibly the largest chariot battle in history. Despite what the Egyptian inscriptions might say, the Battle of Kadesh was not a resounding victory for Egypt, and Ramesses did not show himself to be some kind of Napoleon-level strategist. Quite I'll stop it there, but uh, 20, could you imagine that? 5,000 chariots and the That's horses to a lot. Yeah, and horses and then supplies. And is back in ancient, I mean, going back to your classic ancient uh, campaigns like Alexander the Great, for example, you would have not just the soldiers that would be on campaign, but all their families as well. And when an army traveled in the ancient world, it was basically like a town traveling. And so you have to keep in mind that not only are all those horses and chariots and soldiers on the battlefield right behind them are probably massive campgrounds of of uh, women and children and resources and, and resources and uh so when you lose one battle or if there were to be a decimation or a domination uh then there would be massive casualties there as well but uh yeah quite a scene uh, no, nothing short of the imagination to to conjure <laughs> Uh, I'm sure this next clip is going to conjure something up in you. He had over 100 children. Sorry, I'll start that back over. (laughs) We can't, uh, I definitely don't want to. I just heard 100 children. (laughs) It's all all I need to know. It's all I need to know. He had over 100 children. Numerous sources, including National Geographic, confirm that Ramesses II was highly, highly, highly fertile, as when he died, he had fathered over 100 children. Clearly, Ramesses II (laughs) loved to make love. Of course, no one woman could give birth to 100 children, especially not in an age when many women died in childbirth. Today, studies have shown that the maximum amount of children that a woman can give birth to is 30. So, to father so many children, he clearly introduced his monument to many women's temples. Officially, he had eight royal wives. They were called Nefertari, Isnafret, Bintanath, Eritamun, Nabatawi, Hentamire, and Mathemeferoe. The eighth wife's name is unknown, but it is known that she was a Hittite princess, meaning that she came from the nation that Ramesses II signed a peace treaty with. Which is probably a diplomatic On top of this, move. He could have had be- Yeah, that and Simon gets into it a little more. Um she they were doing uh correspondence back and forth, talking about arranging marriages and the like, trying to mm-hmm. zip up the relationship. And it's interesting that his final wife is is the uh the that the diplomatic result of probably what came after that fight. Mm-hmm. Battle of Kadesh. Well, interesting. Well, and that's who he signed the peace treaty with, so uh, they were never able to best each other. So and it was so late in the game. Yeah, well, many such cases. Uh, it was so late in the game that they didn't even bother to make a, a very official record of who she was. Mm. Not not able to scribble it in the stone. I mean, I, I don't know how much longer he lived after that whole event, because I'm sure by that point it was probably later in life. He died at the age of 90, reigned for 66 years. Yeah. That's the true kind of standard of uh, a lot of great leaders that that are remembered throughout the eons is that they they had a long time to make their mark whereas you know many people in the ancient world come on barely lived to 
40 or 50. Talking about a guy who lived to 90 years old. The, uh, who was it? It's Queen Victoria, the Victoria president of Thailand. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Queen Elizabeth and Ramesses II. They're up there as the longest reigning rulers of all time. Mm hmm. Uh, so is my girl from the Netherlands who I always talk about, uh, Wilhelma the Fourth, mm. the Rockefeller of uh, Europe, and the uh, the the, pa- the matriarch of the Royal Dutch Shell Company, also had a very long reign. Well, I'll uh, finish this clip off here real quick. 40 seconds left. Between Good 10 man. to 15 more wives who didn't participate in royal activities. As anyone who has studied history knows, the past was extremely sexist, so very little is known about Ramesses II's wives. Even his first wife, Nefertari, is a relatively unknown person. No one can say for sure where she came from or what she was like. And here's one really gross thing. Ramesses II probably ended up marrying his eldest daughter, Marietta Mun. This was pretty common back then, but still gross nonetheless. Ramesses II at least waited until Marietta Mun was fully grown until he married her. Still, oh. <laughs> yeah, all right, buddy. <laughs> Come on. This is <laughs> fucking 3,300 years ago. You'll be okay. <laughs> You know, they still do it in Europe today, right, buddy? I mean, come on. Come on. Come on. Your president takes showers with his daughter. Come on, guy. Come on, guy. Are you a historian or are you a good boy? <laughs> I am a good boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this will be my last clip on Ramesses. Uh, and this is, it, it'll kind of wrap up his reign, how old he was, what he was suffering from at the time when he died. Um, probably a lot of things. And, uh, you know, funny enough, he was still getting some action back in the seventies. <laughs> you don't have a, a hundred kids by being a slouch. Yeah. He went, <laughs> he's got, uh, he's got big mega sloth energy <laughs> <laughs> way back in the day. They were already on top of that. When he finally died, circa 1213 BC, he would have been around 90 years old. His 66-year-long reign left Egypt as a regional powerhouse both from a military and economic point of view. External dangers such as the Sea Peoples threatened that hegemony, but ultimately it was internal strife and power struggles that brought about the end of ancient Egypt's third and final golden age, known as the New Kingdom. As far as Ramesses was concerned, he wanted to go out in style. Pyramids might no longer have been in fashion, but mortuary temples were the hot new thing during the New Kingdom. These buildings were constructed next to the royal tombs and were used to prepare the body of the pharaoh for the afterlife, as well as serve as cults of worship for them long after they were gone. Ramesses' mortuary temple, or the Ramesseum as Egyptologists have dubbed it, was not only one of the pharaoh's grandest (laughs) building projects, but one of the greatest mortuary temples in Egypt, possibly outclassed even by that of Hatshepsut. The latter has the advantage of still standing, whereas Ramesses' temple is mostly in ruins, prompting Percy Shelley to write the words that opened today's video. But Ramesses' story did not quite end there, because his mummy was recovered and is today resting peacefully inside the Cairo Museum. Scientific analysis revealed that the pharaoh suffered for decades from very bad arthritis, as well as teeth problems and bad circulation, but realistically, for a nonagenarian from 3,000 years ago, that's still pretty damn good. 
We end our story with a final fun fact about Ramesses the Great. In 1974, he was flown to France for some vital preservation work. According to French law, however, all people flying into the country alive or dead needed a valid passport. Therefore, Ramesses became the first and only pharaoh to be issued a passport by the Egyptian government. Date of birth, 1303 BC. Occupation, king. Deceased. <laughs> so good. Occupation, king. Is that the passport they found at the towers? <laughs> yeah, a, a mummy flew a missile into the side of the t- Twin Towers. <laughs> Nobody can stop this man. I just love fucking that. thousands of years of domination. Yeah, occupation conqueror, occupation king, baby. I'm the pharaoh, bitch. <laughs> you heard of me? Uh, you may have heard about it. Mm. Check out my listening portal. So yeah, I think um I think this is all a very good argument uh for the case of trying to find some Ramesses the second art to throw up here in the green room to show our respects to a total bamf. I've seen an image of uh of the Shelley poem of of like, you know, the the collapsed obelisk mm. and the the ruins of of the once great empire. Stands as one of the great great uh, poems. For a reason. Good stuff, man. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, that's what uh that's what I got. Beautiful. Ram's heads, Ramses, and a mental ram. I, I, I see I see the motif. <laughs> <laughs> uh let's get into a Scream or three. Let's do it. Uh we did have a text come in from a texter. And Texter said, uh, surveillance cameras can have a little spray paint as a treat. <laughs> yeah, you can make them pretty. Let's see. Let's save that real quick. I'll share that one in the chat. That's uh, 612-263-7999 if you want to uh, text that number. And then you can also leave a screen mail like, uh, like this caller did. Mm, Thank you. Good one. Have a nice day. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, caller. That's a good one. I like that. I'm giving that. That was like a. I'm giving that a a nine out of ten. Scream. And here is that image from said texture coming to you in the chat. As long as I can vamp here and click through all my tabs, there you go. And I'm vamping too. Okay, you got it. Oh yeah, <laughs> Gotti. Just a little spray paint. Well, let's see what this next caller's got. Hey, boys. Just listening to 145, listening to the PTAR section. I'm wondering, has anybody ever done an homage to Zeppelin with a lot of love with a lot of goat? Just a thought. Have a great day. Oh. With a gazoo. Ba-bam, ba-bam, ba-bam. It's gazoo, gazoo, gazoo. Gazoo, I will have to look. I will well, have. we will. And I will help. We did get a, 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 a an additional text message from an additional texter uh, with an additional picture. And this picture says, Naked woman chases Jehovah's Witnesses off of her porch and down the street yelling, Succumb to my devil, devil vagina magic. 
I'm not going to lie. I might succumb. <laughs> Again, terms acceptable. <laughs> Very well. <laughs> no arguments, Batman. I'm hot, wet, and adaptable. <laughs> You've done well so far, but up until now, I've only been using a mere 5% of my power. Now let's see how well you fare against my Biden blast. Yeah. <laughs> Biden blast. Unfortunately, a few people in this life have gotten Biden blasted. Ooh. Oh. Oh. Ooh. Oh my goodness. Disgusting. I might have to have a sip here. You dirty bitch. Filthy. Devil vagina magic. Some of the strongest magic in the world. <laughs> Excuse me. You know what also is very powerful magic? What? A pen and a sticky pad. <laughs> <laughs> you said the power to move you. Uh, I'm having to come back and check the, the list here. Cause that puts us at intermission. Indeed. Indeed. And I got tonight's intermission prepared here. Uh, there's a song out here. You may have heard about it. Uh, funny enough, Electric Six, they had a CC BY album on the Free Music Archive. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So we got a track from them uh, live from, I don't remember where, but if you want to check out anything that you hear in tonight's intermission, always, always, always scroll down to the end of the show notes and all of the links for all of the uh, items are posted there. Indeed. And uh, the link to the show notes again is zososcorner.substack.com. We'll, we'll see you in a bit for second, second half of show. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that magic number of 13 minutes. Oh, nice. Real
Caution, Kleenex, Incognito Mode. These are the ingredients to create the perfect night at home. Until Professor Utonium accidentally introduced cast to family room TV. And thus, divorce papers were born. And I don't mind it when he bites Cause the days and nights and the nights are longer And watching days turn into nights Yeah, I buy the drugs, I like to fight I have your mates and I have your man and I buy the drugs be the jumpstart for the car parked in your mind Cause you left the lights on all night long And we can travel for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles And miles and miles away Have you ever smelled her clothes, her sexy clothes? Have you ever got to know her? Stay home and let your woman support you Yeah, I'm on the drugs, I like to fight I am your main supplier I'm your man and I'm on the drugs I can be the jumpstart for the car parked in your mind Cause you left the lights on all night long And we can drive, we can drive Oh yeah. You ever find yourself need you can submit your request in writing, and this is what you do. Sitting in a self-dress stamped envelope to P.O. Box 900 90212 And I will fill your prescription with some degree of accuracy And murder Then I'll send it back to you Oh yeah Then I'll send it back to you Some of your, some of your family. I love you so much. 
you wouldn't send a booty pic with your panties on and one without them on and three different picture of your booty is any position and a normal pic of your pussy from the front and one where it's spread a bit open and a picture of you fingering yourself and a pic of you doing a kissing face but also with your boobs in it and a pic of your pussy and ass from behind in one shot and a pic your full front body in just a bra and panties a pic of your arse or your panties are all up and a pic of your boobs while you're in the shower and another pussy pic while while you're in the shower and whatever all the sexy things you want and a video of you twerking in just really short shorts and one of you fingering yourself and one of you actually coming and one of you play with your tits while not wearing a shirt.
You once claimed that you have an ability to face unpleasant facts. Is that what you've demonstrated in 1984 by drawing an accurate portrait of the future? I think that allowing for the book being, after all, a parody, something like 1984 could actually happen. This is the direction the world is going in at the present time. In our world, there will be no emotions except fear, rage, triumph and self-abasement. The sex instinct will be eradicated. We shall abolish the orgasm. There will be no loyalty except loyalty to the party. But always there will be the intoxication of power. Always, at every moment, there will be the thrill of victory, the sensation of trampling on an enemy who is helpless. If you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. The moral to be drawn from this dangerous nightmare situation is a simple one. Don't let it happen. It depends on you. We now return to Behind the Scenes. Welcome back to second second half of Behind the Schemes, episode 146. That's right. We're coming for you, Barbara. It's April 3rd, 2023. It's currently 9.02 p.m. bereft, 10.02 in Mount Me time, 11.02 in Central Coast, which means it is damn near two minutes past midnight in the sewer over there on the East Coast. This is very true. Must be nice. Must be fucking nice. Well, we're catching up over here, you know, as they often say to people on the Breath Coast, uh, we're living in the past, man. Soon. Soon you'll be here. This is episode 146, Behind the Schemes. Yeah, we got a couple of people that we'd like to thank for helping produce this week's episode. Uh, We had several PayPal donations come through. Uh, These were all monthlies. We had Sir Cross Stitch with $5.33. Thank you, Sir Cross Stitch. We had KS with his $5. Thank you, KS. And then Kitty Tarleton, my sister, with the the satiny $6.66. Thank you, Kitty Tarleton. Very satiny and very wonderful. Thank you, everybody, for the the monthlies. That helps keep the lights on around here and uh, helps us uh, be able to operate certain things like spook.social. If you're not uh, involved with spook.social, if you're looking for an alternative, in social media, and you want to go somewhere where you won't be censored, and you're able to be sharing your ideas with people in a very authentic way, then you go to spook.social. We won't and, put you down. And unless you feel otherwise, I I feel we have a finer taste in humor, and you won't ever have to worry about us uh, as a April Fool's gag taking down spook.social. <laughs> no. <laughs> but for April Fool's, we did... Uh, posit the idea of maybe starting a cult that had to do with uh, busty hygienists. Mm. And that seemed like a legitimate idea. So yeah. you might pursue that. I don't think there was much prank behind that one. And to all the hygienists who've been sending in pics, we thank you. 
so good. It's the wind under our wings, hot and wet. <laughs> I guess OBDM is still having to field uh, emails and messages in their chats asking if people are or asking people asking if they really shut the show down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Three days later, two days later, as a. On the Saturday's episode of OBDM, they announced right at the top of the show that they were calling it quits after 1,088 episodes. <laughs> and it was very authentic. You know, they had real reasons. But, uh, yeah, they got them good. Uh, but, yeah, they, they'll they be returning. Um, I did, Worry not. I did have a hour-long conversation with Midnight Mike on Sunday. We ended up discussing uh, a lot of podcasts and 2.0 stuff, and I ended up kind of walking them through our feed to show them just, you know, this is how it's implemented, and we gave them a bunch of resources on how to do stuff. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like he's going to uh, implement his secondary feed and get some IPFS action in there and get some podcasts and 2.0 features rolling. It'll be a good time. Become compliant. Uh, I didn't get a chance to process it. (laughs) I don't know if I'll ever be able to process it. But uh, (laughs) uh, Gix, who is a producer for OBDM, he's the one that pulls all of the Alex Jones clips of the week. Mm -hmm. He's been working with Whisper, which is what Cotton Gin used to code up the ISOBot. And uh, not only did... He, uh, Gix, not only did he code up something where it can transcribe stuff in the background, but he went and did the whole OBDM feed. He's got transcripts for it all. Which is really, really fancy. Yeah. And, um, not only does he have the transcripts, but he was able to, uh, pull all of the instances of whenever the word goat (laughs) was brought up on OBDM. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, so now we get to actually scratch the surface of how uh, useful this can be. Yeah, it's uh, it, it was like four minutes of clips. I got some stuff in there. It's pretty funny. It's like, oh yeah, I recognize that one. <laughs> what a great feature! Yeah, I uh, yeah, I don't know where I put it. All the maybe next week I'll have it ready to go for sure. Uh, it's fun. It's weird. That is fun. Yeah, there was another one. Uh, Every time cake was brought up, that one is 26 minutes long. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Must be nice. Uh, So, yeah, that's uh, very exciting stuff. Uh, We had Dag and Make Heroism come in with some ISOs. And uh, uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't. um, Ah, shit, that's wrong. It was Mr. Ed. Mr. Ed came in with the suggestion for the George Orwell clip uh, that we had there at the end of intermission. Mm. Well, thanks as always, Mr. Ed, uh, a, a true producer, always in contact and always providing, uh, what could be considered content. It's fantastic stuff. Thank you, sir. And then make heroism gifted, uh, this ISO to us. ISO vocals. I'm a big fan. Me too. I love it. And got a lot of good ones too. <laughs> we should uh, fire up the classic uh, vocal only, the uh, the Diamond Dave running with the devil. Oh. Yeah, a, few, a few running with the devil uh, boosts would, would do me good. 
Uh, running with the ooh, what was that one called? Where he's like, oh goddamn baby. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what I would have labeled it. <laughs> Shit. Oh, one time, one time. Uh, Tom and Dave, you know, the inspiration for Dr. Roxo, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I, someone said something. I posted the show art, our wonderful show art that Bags did for us, the uh, Castlevania art, where uh, Booberry the Mothman is, is a great giant titan behind the castle, and we've got uh, Dr. Roxo at the front with the Indiana Jones whip. <laughs> And someone, someone called me. I was like, "Excuse me, is that Leonard, Doctor Roxo, Rockstein?" And I said, "Yeah." I said, "Yeah." Yeah, it is. You know it. <laughs> Woo! Hit me on the one. God damn it! Oh, you love it. Fucking love it. Uh, we have got a double boost. Yeah, we have quite a few boosts to get through. Uh, let's we shall. pull up the helipad. Um, that last James Brown boost, 1,000, excuse me, 11,111 sats from Bully Steed, a.k.a. Boosty Steed, a.k.a. Dame Bully Steed, said the Orwell clip, perfect timing. Nice. Via Fountain gave us the, the quintuple one. A row of sticks. Vlad Indeed, would, a satchel of Richards. Vlad would be proud. <laughs> Uh, What's up, had, Turbo? We had one, two, three, four, five from Servo through Podverse. He's boosting the live tag saying, I'm told you were the goodest of boys. Oh, good boy. <laughs> Ooh, me. another one <laughs> from DeLorean. Another good boy boost at one, two, three, four, five saying, Take this hot, wet love, you filthy schemers. <laughs> wet. <laughs> it's, it's wet everywhere. It's, it's hot. It's, it's just, it's wet everywhere. Oh, God. I know you like to get wet, dog. And she flexed by doing it via the podcast index. Ooh. I know you like to get wet, dog. Hell yeah. We see that node, girl. Mm. I see the way you boost. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, my. God damn. Oh, my. Look at the size of that boost. Mm-mm-mm. Uh, we had one, two, three, four, five from the NA Millennial through Fountain, and he said, "Can I drill your cavity?" Uh, always. Uh, Nam, of course. Of course. Why are you asking? How about a two for one? How about how about how about you <laughs> drill my cavity and then I'll drill your cavity? Oh my god! <laughs> Get the sixty-nine drill pronto, stat. We can we can we can drill each other's cavities back and forth forever, Laura. <sighs> Barbara's coming for you. Delicious. And uh, that is Nam, who hosts a show with the Haujin uh, every Tuesday uh, called the Millennial Media Offensive, which is kicking ass these days. And uh, you are missing out if you aren't catching the Millennial Media Offensive every Tuesday. Yeah, right before, every single Tuesday, right before uh, DH unplugged and uh, roll straight into the bowl after bowl podcast. Dame Delorean, Sir Spencer, Tuesdays. It's Tuesdays are lit. <laughs> Tuesdays, it's thick. Mm. You love it. Del- yeah. Delicious. Delicious. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, we had, let's see, uh, 2033 from Make Heroism. Uh, he was hungry in Fountain. He wanted to get some cricket snacks. Om nom nom. Yeah. Ugh. Protein. Yep. And uh, I can see the, the goats uh, prancing around in the back there. The, the, the one from Bully Seed and actually two from Bully Seed uh, asking for justice for Cedar. Both of those were through Fountain. And then we had the 13696 from Make Heroism. Uh, mm. yeah, that was when he got a little bit of spray paint on your dice there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sprayed my dice, bro. We, man, I got tapes. I got tarps. You just got to ask. I'll pull them out for you. That's not a problem. Oh, it's part of it. It's part of it. You know, it's authentic paint. We had 8888 from Pfeiffer through Fountain saying, getting strict with a gimp. Goddamn straight. Yeah, that gimp needs to be told just about every day, at least four times a day. 4444 from Make Heroism through Fountain. That was the head that's rolling around somewhere. These bodies, I don't get it. They're just. Uh, the smell. It's not hygienic. Yeah. No. It's not not good. Not a good But thing. it is great. <laughs> it's not good, but I'm into it. <laughs> uh, we had the uh, uh, hella famous Mary Kate Ultra coming through with the two uh, uh, go to boost, uh, putting the goats back together. In MKU. In honor of Cedar. Cedar. F. F in the chat for Cedar. Mm-hmm. Uh, 69.69 from Dame DeLorean saying, Daily drilling? Open wide. I'm coming to clean those dirty mouths. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Obviously, you've never had to podcast with an erection before. Obviously. <laughs> Privileged. <laughs> you remember uh, when we did the in-person show in the Miniocalypse and we had uh, we had DeLorean on the big screen? Yes. She sent in that very tasteful, uh, was it a GIF? Yes. Yeah. Yes. The hot, wet air under our wings. <laughs> yes. Tits. <laughs> it's a tits. It is. It is. You have great tits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, shout out to Bowl After Bowl, <laughs> which is again live every Tuesday. So we've got the MMO, and then we've got DH Unplugged, and then the Bowl After Bowl sandwich. And I would like to give a shout out to Bowl After Bowl for hosting Junta and Mousy Bear. Uh, this that was a good show. So you should check that out. Yeah, this past Friday, indeed. And Junta and Mousy Bear are uh, friends of the show, and I mean that in the way that China says, like friends of China. He's a friend of China. Uh, yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think so. It's an official uh, declaration. Have you have you not heard of the title "Friend of China"? I guess not. When Xi Jinping was a younger man before he was the eternal mandated by heaven leader of China, <laughs> the turbo leader, <laughs> the turbo mega leader before he blended himself with the mega sloth. He was merely a minister of agriculture and he was integral in the supply of corn from America to China. He was part of the trade 
And uh, securing corn at a cheap price from the United States was a big deal at the time. And he made friends with, I forget who, it was a local politician of one of those corn states, you know, Iowa or something. Kansas. Kansas. It was one of those states. And he made friends with this guy in the early days, you know, back when he was nobody. And they had a great working relationship. And he was integral in the promotion of Xi Jinping to where he is now. That guy for the rest of his life is going to be an ambassador to China for the federal government, because he is officially a friend of China. Oh, I was not aware of this. This is true. I wish I had the name of the guy uh, off hand, but uh, you know, a little research, you'll find it. Uh, we do have a brand new booster to the crowd, a new freak of hazard. You may have heard of him before. It's 4848 sats from Comic Strip Blogger. Yeah! Comic Strip Blogger. Who is one of the earliest producers of uh, No Agenda, if I'm not mistaken. He's been here since day one. And, uh, and negative days, too. And he said, howdy behind the schemes, crew. Your audience is invited to listen to AI.Cooking podcast about artificial intelligence, news, and skills. Narrated by posh as fuck voice actor of, uh, excuse me, let me take it back. Narrated by posh as fuck voice of Gregory William Forsyth Foreman from Kent, UK. Just enter AI.Cooking in any web browser or any podcast player app. Yo, CSB. Yeah, thanks, CSB. Thanks yes. for uh, thanks for the support and yeah, ch- check out his show and check out Gwiff. Gwiff, the king of Kent, he is a force of nature. That boy, whose middle name is William Forsyth, I found out today. Yeah, that's a serious name that's for a, a serious name. man who's mm-hmm. here to play a very serious game. Hope you're asleep right now. They're all over there in that uh, city of England. <laughs> uh. Nine hours ago, we had uh, Pizar coming through, 6666. He said, can't make the show tonight, but here's a goat for the pile. Thank you. Well, I I guess, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to deny the goat. Um, And I know it's, it's a little raw still with Pizar, but. (laughs) Boom. Mm. It's, it's, it's just, it's wet everywhere. Mm. Yes, uh, Peter uh, has informed us that unfortunately he's not going to be here this evening, but he did send us that preemptive goat. Yes, thank you. Just very, very kind. Uh, you know, if it's okay with you, just just harping on this comic strip blogger issue, let, let's sacrifice a goat for him for good measure. Oh, sure, I can do that. Let's, um, you know, CSB strikes me as an avid uh, what's the word? He strikes me as an avid hammer fan. Drop the hammer. Hell yeah. That's for you. And fuck it. I'm going to give him a, a read too, just of the same thing. Just, just so he's got it. Cause I, I was talking to him earlier and I just, yeah, I want to do it for him. Howdy behind the schemes crew. Your audience is invited to listen to AI dot cooking podcast about artificial intelligence, news and skills. Narrated by posh as fuck voice of Gregory William Forsyth Foreman from Kent, UK. 
Just enter AI.cooking in any web browser or in any podcast player. Yo, CSB. Yo. Yo. Had to double down on that one. Sorry. That's all good. Not sorry. We had 8888 sats from Bully Seed through Fountain Say and Puff Puff Pass. Aw, shit, yes. 234, test the helipad. I wonder if this was a bowl after bowl boost. <laughs> no? We'll take them all. Thanks, Thanks Bully. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and then we had uh, 11,111 sats from Bully Steed again through Fountain saying, Connection is protection. Let's go bowling. <laughs> <laughs> there seems to be some confusion here. They're crossing the streams. It's almost like people were getting high or something. Oh, we had a big old thick boost from C Brooklyn 112 through Curiocaster for 32,823 sats saying, Another excellent episode. Bring on Dershowitz. Uh-oh. Oh, well, I you're in luck. I did bring the Dershowitz tonight. So thank you, C. Brooklyn. 112. Oh, what a G. What a G indeed. Uh, we had 1,111 sats from a monkey saying a row of dicks to make my points. Point made. Mm. <laughs> well, if anything's going to make a point, it'll be a row of dicks. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, 7777 from Cotton Gin. Uh, he was boosting episode 145. Big, more pages, more stories. Oh, hi, Henry Kissinger. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, 12345 from Bully Steed saying part three. Three is the magic number. Indeed, it is. Uh, Thanks again, Bully Steed. Very kind of you, Danby. And I believe that catches us up because uh, C-Dubs was going off about how he was a good boy and how he was a bad boy. <laughs> oh, you know. It was nice getting to know about C-Dubs' uh, training regimen and uh, his, uh, his competitive uh, activities. I would not want to run into a C-Dubs in a dark alley. I would, so that I could... Uh, be like, hey man, I got this guy who I don't like. <laughs> I need you to fuck him <laughs> up for me. I need you to come with me right now. Oh, C Dubs, there you are. Thank God. Uh, so if you want to get in on that action, uh, check out a nude podcast app found over at nudepodcastapps.com. Uh, set yourself up with one that you can stream some sats to, or you can use Boostergrams. There's all sorts of cool features, chapters, transcripts. Uh, you name it, it's there. You love it. You need it. You want it. It's boosting is the way of the future. Bitcoin <laughs> is the way. I'm so sorry to to tell you. We're coming into I'm, to a golden age of podcasting. We yeah, are, we already set up shop. We're we're having a lot more fun over here. You know, it's the new kingdom. It's the new kingdom, baby. It, it is the new kingdom. Mike is right. Damn it. That's right. Oh yeah, that's right. And um, look upon our works and despair. Uh, this is just kind of a note you may have noticed, you may have seen. Um, the feed art for the show has changed. Uh, we updated it over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've got our new, uh, <laughs> new our new Gislaine version. Yeah, it's I. Mm, I love it. <laughs> I think it works splendidly. <laughs> Yes. Fits right in like a glove. It's a little spooky. 
It's a little spooky, not gonna lie. I was doing the uh, this image actually comes from some chapter art that we uh, did up for your discussion on Ghislaine last mm-hmm. week, and then I, cro- I zoomed in on her face. I was like, "What? No way!" Dead on, bruh. Ugh, be still my beating heart. I I don't know if you noticed, but uh, but uh, no agenda even had a had a very uh, schemy sort of art happen <laughs> recently that that Bully Steed rightfully uh, reminded me it was a Lolita reference on top of it, but it was also very schemy. Uh, did you? I I made up a little uh, video that I never did anything with. I I did see the uh, the similarities, no doubt. Ah. Uh, the only oh, nice! You gave it, a, you gave it the <laughs> ultimate BTS touch. <laughs> Who's behind whose schemes now? Oh my goodness! It switches, <laughs> and naturally, it has the flair of a VHS that's been left out in the sun for a couple of years. Yeah, but the Beautiful. you know that art didn't have the uh, art. I guess uh, this is the second, or excuse me, this. Um, Illustration was the second art that we had up in the feed. Uh, but she's not wearing heart glasses, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, can't, uh... it's, it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget who ended up drawing that uh, no agenda art, but I'd be curious to reach out to them and see if they'd uh, consider doing something for us. A commission, perhaps. It was one of the regulars, I thought. Uh... One second, let me find out. What that was all. Who did that art real quick? Uh, unless you have anything else to add in the meantime. Mm, no, I don't believe so. That covers us. Uh, as far as all the contributions, if you want to help produce this show, you, you can always go to BehindTheSchemes.com, S-C-H-3-M-3-S, and uh, you can just always reach out. Uh, boo at BehindTheSchemes.com, Lavish at BehindTheSchemes.com. Reach out and touch us. With threes for ease and the word schemes, uh, just to clarify. And you can always go to find all of that information again at our show notes, zososcorner.substack.com. That will have a link to our contact information, uh, the chat room, the store, the everything. So zososcorner.substack.com is uh, where everything is so far. And we have, uh, as this cover artist, that was episode 1541, a capitalist agenda. Uh, I was going to say it. I was going to say it. Yeah. Yeah. I knew it was one of the big ones. And yeah, capitalist agenda did that. Well, very cool. Very legal. Hmm. Indeed. Um, let's, what, am I missing anything? Um, yeah. I believe the floor is yours. Well, we are now, uh, Finalizing this trilogy here, we've done a little foray into Jeffrey Epstein and his associates. And uh, the one that I left on of last week was Alan Dershowitz. He was kind of the character I was going to go into. And Dershowitz himself, as you well know, Booberry, is a very complicated character who's been around for a long time and he's done a lot of stuff. And he's represented a lot of controversial figures in this time. Among them, O.J. Simpson, uh, Donald Trump, and our friend Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, so he was friends with Robert uh, Kardashian. Uh, I believe that he was associated with Robert Kardashian. At the time, they were all the elite lawyers. Mm. But uh, just at a glance, 
Could you tell me between OJ, Jeff Epstein, and Trump what the three of them have in common? Hmm. What do Donald Trump, OJ Simpson, and Jeffrey Epstein have in common? Other than Dershowitz, obviously. Um, I would say that they've had some run-ins with, I guess, court battles involving sexual allegations. Well, I don't know if OJ ever had that go on. He never he never was uh in trouble for doing anything sexual. Uh but uh but that is a good guess. And I would say also the fact that he likes controversial clients. But the point I would make was uh, they're all New York. It's all New York. Uh OJ played for the New York Jets. Jeffrey Epstein, Trump, they're all New York guys. Uh, Nam says that they're Eskimo brothers, which is also that could be true. <laughs> Very cool. If the allegations that have been brought against Dershowitz are true, then that would be the case. <laughs> they are Eskimo brothers. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, the way that Dershowitz is is kind of mostly controversially labeled with him, other than the fact that he represented him, is that one of the victims of this whole thing uh, that. The probably one of the most well-known named uh, victims, Virginia Roberts Goofrey, who has named uh, several people as having sort of been with her, lent her out. Uh, Dershowitz was among them. Dershowitz, uh, she says, uh, had sex with her at least seven times. So pretty heinous uh, allegations. Uh, but uh, Dershowitz has strenuously denied the allegations he's maintained that uh, Goofy is a pathological liar, an extortionist, and that the claims are untrue. Uh, we have some sort of uh, coverage of this, not from the mainstream media, of course, and there are some very uh, topical happenings going on with this whole Epstein business. Among them, the fact that the head of J.P. Morgan Chase, one of the biggest banks in the world, and the Rockefellers' uh, personal bank, if I might add. Jamie Dimon uh, is under a particular heat this month for basically facilitating Epstein's actions and being Epstein's bank. And uh, personally scrutinizing his account and going, well, everything looks good to me. So people ask, why? Why'd you do that? <laughs> Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. <laughs> but... Uh, while we're on Dershowitz, uh, let's uh, open it up. If you could play the first Dershowitz uh, clip, Dersh one. We never socialized with him after he was uh, charged with it? any Dersh offense. Dersh one Epstein case? That's what it's labeled as. Ah, all right, go for it. I only socialized with him in the context of uh, academic meetings, of meetings at Harvard. Uh, my relationship with him was academic, and then it was lawyer-client. Um, it was... Uh, marginally social only in relation to the academic part, but it was pre predominantly an academic uh, relationship. And it all occurred before any of us had any idea. I never saw him in the presence of any underage person or even anybody close to being underage. The people I saw him with were in their late 20s or uh, 30s. But I think it's true that all the people, the Harvard president, the Harvard provost, the professors, we were all shocked when we learned about the private life, which he kept completely walled off 
from uh, the life he lived in academia at his office at Harvard. Not shocked enough not to represent him. I have never refused to represent a client, no matter how heinous the allegations are. I represented a young man who was accused of lining up nine Buddhist nuns and monks and murdering them in cold blood. And I got his conviction reversed on constitutional grounds. I've represented, and I will continue to represent, a very, very uh, uh, people charged with very, very serious crimes. No, uh, I have only two rules. I don't represent fugitives, people who are seeking to evade justice, and I don't represent people who are in the business of committing crimes, uh, or organized crime people or, or terrorists, but I will represent anybody charged with a past crime, and Jeffrey Epstein was among the many who I represented. I've had over 250 cases in my career some many accused of crimes far more serious than those uh, that were that Jeffrey Epstein was accused of committing. Mm. So this guy, and he's gone on the record, and I must say, this guy is very vocal and very open about everything. He goes on to say that uh, you know I'm a lawyer, and this is the this is the lawyer's plight. Anybody who's familiar with lawyers knows uh, a a good lawyer will represent anyone. They will represent the guilty or the innocent, I should say, uh, other than the very specific things, uh, stipulations that he noted, being a terrorist or whatever. But this guy will represent anyone as long as they are in the position to get his attention, whatever that may be, uh, whether it's uh, well-publicized or whether it's difficult or, or he, he personally finds a challenge in it. Or, you know, of course, whether you have the money to pay for him. And in the event of Epstein, uh, it was uh, two things. He personally was associated with him. He was his friend. Uh, admittedly, he met him four years before the 2008 indictment, which made him the public figure and, uh, and brought him to the eye of, of everybody who was paying attention, including myself uh, at the time in 2008, which, you know, was many, many years before everything else that happened in his suicide and he became a household name. And my grandma knows who Jeff Epstein is now, but back in 08, nobody knew who this guy was. Uh, and he has connections with all kinds of other people. And we're going to get an affirmation again, that these guys met through Lynn Rothschild, lady Lynn, uh, de Rothschild, who is the, uh, the quiet agent in all of this. If you can play the second clip. Uh, what did you know about Prince Andrew's relationship with Jeffrey Epstein? I met Prince Andrew uh, through um, uh, Lady Rothschild. She invited me to the birthday party for Lord Rothschild, at which um, both uh, Jeffrey Epstein was present and Prince Andrew was present. Prince Andrew then came and spoke to my class at Harvard, came. the dean at Harvard Law School, then uh, had a lunch for Prince Andrew. And he wrote a very nice note uh, appreciating his invitation to Harvard. I was then invited by the Consul General of Boston to have dinner with Prince Andrew uh, in Boston when he was uh, visiting. And that was the nature of my contact with Prince Andrew. I never saw him in an inappropriate uh, situation. I've only seen him uh, in uh, professional and uh, social situations that were entirely appropriate. Did you continue to socialize with Prince Andrew ever at Jeffrey Epstein's uh, 
houses or on a plane or on his island. Did you ever see Prince Andrew outside that academic atmosphere? Uh, absolutely not. And I was never on Jeffrey Epstein's island during the relevant time period. And I was never on his uh, Lolita Express plane. Uh, I was on a plane with my team members, with my nephew, with my wife, with my daughter, um, and with my uh, academic colleagues. But I never saw Prince Andrew either on an airplane or uh, on an island or in any setting other than the ones I've just described, academic and uh, political, political in the sense of having a meeting at the uh, home of the Council General of Great Britain to Boston. All of these questions sound canned. Of course. And uh, just following along with, with the general knowledge of what people the general knowledge that people have of the situation. Prince Andrew's involved. This guy's involved. Maxwell's involved. And it's a, it's a very, you know, just scratching the surface. These are the stooges. These are the, the sacrificial lambs. And again, the, the main smoking gun, the main issue with the Epstein case in general, and the, the reason why it doesn't go away, is because his existence and the existence of this situation confirms that there is a larger circle of elite wealthy clientele who participate in this specific sex trafficking operation and that the people that are that are associated with Epstein the people that he you know tried to blackmail or tried to hook women up with none of these people have been held to account but there must be people out there this man doesn't exist without the system he has no real tangible way to explain his wealth. There, there's nothing you can look at and go, okay, you know, he made a business here and he sold it off to this guy and that's how he made his fortune. We don't have that. We just have a very vague description of this guy. Well, you know, he was friends with a lot of rich people and they trusted him with his money and he was a, a finance guy and a math guy. But that's all very vague and, and insubstantial. But somehow this guy's getting into invited to parties with the Rothschilds and with Henry Kissinger and uh, Alan Dershowitz and uh, Jelaine Maxwell. And this is how they're all meeting each other. So before all of these other people knew him, the Rothschild knew him. And this again falls into the New York connection. These are New York people. This is East Coast elitism. It's a small, small club. It's the New York scene. Exactly. This is the New York scene of the late 90s, leading into, you know, what's going on now. Uh, let's continue with uh, Dersh. Uh, play, please play clip three, unless you have anything to add. Uh, I do. This guy is a liar! <laughs> I have absolutely nothing to hide. I have had um, sexual relations with one woman since the day I met Jeffrey Epstein. That's my wife. I don't flirt. I don't touch. Um, and that's why I can be completely forthright about everything. Every individual has to make a decision based on what their life has been like and whether they can or cannot be cooperative. I but can tell you one can I, thing yeah, for sure. I just want to ask you a straightforward question with Jeffrey Epstein. When you secured him a reduced conviction and sentence, it wasn't a federal case, it was a state case, did Jeffrey Epstein ever talk to you about his sex trafficking, about his victims, about his sex slaves? Did he ever talk to you about anything that never became public? 
clients always talk to lawyers about matters that are not made public, and lawyers have to go to their graves uh, protecting the confidentiality of anything a client told them in relationship to legal representation. Uh, the deal we got to have a state charge rather than a federal charge was because it was very hard to make a federal case. Most of the people involved were local and payments were made in cash. For it to be a federal case, there has to be transportation and interstate commerce or the use of interstate wires or communication methods. Yeah. And the federal government just didn't have that. I was really hoping he was going to stop at lawyers have to go to the grave. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They're scorpions. They exist to do something very specific, which is win. Um, that's how it is. And, and if you were in that position, of course, you'd, you'd think the other way. Well, thank God there are people that exist to get me out of this mess that I've made for myself. But, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm curious about the, the sovereign citizenship that people claim when in court. I, I find that all very fascinating. Uh, the claims that you know, everything's under maritime law and the court is set up to uh, receive you as part of their property. Um, it's very, it's very interesting. And and then listening to this um, seed of the goat story, it was a, it was a lawyer that did the video. And I was like, maybe, maybe I can get more into this. I'm trying to understand laws a little better. I think that there's there's two facets of law that I think are at odds with each other. One is the concreteness of it, the fact that, well, this says this, therefore it's illegal. And that's how law at the very basic level is carried out. You you bring a case to court, you can think Epstein is this, you can think Epstein's that, but if unless you have substantial evidence, it doesn't hold up in court. And that is the that's the sort of neutrality or the the unbiasedness of law but then you also have the matter of attention and this was brought up with the the clinton monica Lewinsky situation you can be tried for crimes every day everybody breaks laws every single day whether they know it or not and uh, the reason you weren't arrested for it is because if everybody was arrested for all the little ticky tack shit you know jails would be overflowing it takes a whale to actually center on you and go, yeah, you're going to jail. Somebody who has the resources, the connections to actually put you away. And with the Lewinsky situation, there was a guy. I always forget his fucking name. But, you know, one of these big DAs came along and said, I really don't like this Clinton guy. And I'm going to just like hound him and I'm going to get him for something. And he finally got Lewinsky on the horn. But, you know, Bill Clinton is done far more than that. And it's just a matter of, of getting the evidence and, and, and being able to bring it to court. So Epstein has skirted along with this narrative. Well, there's no evidence. There's nothing really substantial, but everything about him, if you look between the lines is fishy. And that's why it's so easy to make him a target in general. Um, Let's finish with the last Dershklitz, unless you have anything more to add, sir. Uh, I don't. All right. 
we must come on uh, to uh, your own involvement, your own personal involvement. Uh, Virginia Roberts uh, Guffrey claims that you had sex six times with her. I wonder, did you ever meet her? Did you know her? Did you ever hear about her from Jeffrey Epstein? Let me be very clear. I never met Virginia Roberts. I never heard of her. And she never met me or heard of me. We now have emails from Sharon Churcher of the Mail that prove that in 2011, which is nine years after she allegedly had sex with me seven times, she had never heard of me. She had to be told that I was Epstein's lawyer and that I wrote Reversal of Fortune and was Klaus von Bülow's lawyer. She told the FBI she did not have <laughs> sex with me. She told her best friend she did not have sex with me. She told her boyfriend she did not have uh, sex with me. She, she denies also that. She says that she has been quite clear that she has had sex with you. And of course, now there is a defamation case coming up because she claims that you have lied about her. The records are clear. They're all documented. Finally, um, whose side should Alan Dershowitz be on? Should you be on the side of high-profile, rich clients who are uh, accused of perhaps rape or murder? Or should you be on the side of alleged victims, often poor young women who do not have, uh, as it were, the firepower behind them? I represent 50% of my cases pro bono. I have represented numerous women. I've represented a woman who killed her husband because she was a battered woman. I've represented another woman who was accused of killing her husband. I represented a woman who was locked up by her husband in a mental hospital. I represented a young girl who was taken away from her mother because her mother was having a relationship with another woman. I do more pro bono representation of victims, of victims of harassment, but I also represent people who are wealthy, uh, but the vast majority of my clients over the years have been without means. And so people know about my famous cases, Klaus von Bülow or uh, Jeffrey Epstein or uh, O.J. Simpson. I don't choose sides. I'm a lawyer. I'm like a doctor and I'm like a priest. I represent people <laughs> who need representation. And I'm one of the few lawyers who represents half of my clients on a pro bono basis. Poor people, people who have never, ever been in the public light except they've either been charged with a crime or have been a victim of a crime yeah because those are the bastions of society yeah he's, he's, a <laughs> he's such a good person i know he believes she didn't even know the name of my book that i wrote <laughs> he's written many books Ugh. many many books this guy he's mr harvard that's another connection between him and epstein epstein wanted i believe to up his cred by being a major supporter of all the Ivy League uh, colleges that matter. So he did his interlocking situation, which we've talked about, but he also gave money to Harvard and he was very, for a couple of years, invested in being a player at Harvard. So he was, um, he was friends with uh, Larry Summers, who ended up being the uh, Treasury Secretary, I believe. Uh, I might actually have to confirm that real quick because I'm probably getting that wrong. Uh, Larry Summers was the, was the, yeah, he was the secretary of the treasury under Clinton. So these guys all kind of hung out. These guys all went to parties together. And, uh, to clarify the one who went hard on Clinton for the Lewinsky scandal was Ken Starr, Ken Starr, who I've put his information, his Wikipedia in the chat. If you don't know about Ken Starr, uh, look him up.
He he set a new precedent. And I mean that with a pun. You can arrest anybody, man. You can put anybody in jail. If you work hard enough at it. Hmm. Uh, Dershowitz has oh, an interesting... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I, I was glancing over the wiki real quick. Starr was initially appointed to investigate the suicide of Deputy White House Counsel Vince Foster. Vince Foster, another name that's lost to time, unfortunately. Yeah. He's one of the Clinton body count, I believe. Uh, you believe? Come on. Oh, he is. <laughs> Oh, he is. And the Clinton body count is still going on today. Uh, who? Uh, another former Clinton associate. Oh, let's see. What was his name? Uh, Thomas H. Lee. Uh, the founder and chairman of Lee Equity Partners on Fifth Avenue, New York. Was found lying on his side in his bathroom. He had a gunshot wound to the head and a handgun by his side. So this was reported on February 24th of 2023. So that was a couple of weeks ago. That was another Clinton associate who has died of suicide. So it still happens. It goes on and on. Earlier last year, there was a guy who hung himself with a, an extension cord and shot himself in the chest with a shotgun. At the same time? That's right. Jesus. Dedicated. On a property. I know, I know. It's athletic, if you ask me. <clears throat> so as you can see, it's a small club and all these guys know it. And I think that Dershowitz personally, this is my own conjecture. So take it with a grain of salt, but I think that Dershowitz wasn't involved with anything with the ring, with the sexual trafficking ring. He wasn't personally uh, imbibing. Maybe, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. I can't tell. But what I can tell you for sure is that he knew about it. And all these guys knew about it. And that is the, uh, is the rub. All these people that are operating on this level that are all working together to cover up the truth, to obfuscate the sad reality that this goes on. They're complicit in it. Wouldn't you say? Well, I mean, it's just part of the perks of the job, having your lawyer confidentiality. Mm-hmm. And being, uh, you know, 100 millionaire or whatever. You just get these little uh, perks. You got sick friends hooking you up all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean... New York's a freaky D place, man. It's kind of the life. Life's different when, you know, you only party... Somewhere that's above 50 floors. You know what I'm saying? You got a lot to look down when you're that high. <laughs> and throw down. There's one article I found. I don't know if you saw it in the notes, but Dershowitz uh, wrote in the 1996 LA, he wrote in 1996 an LA Times op ed titled Statutory Rape is an Outdated Concept. His argument was, if a 16-year-old can choose abortion, then she should be able to choose to have sex. Yes, I remember this one. Uh, Jamie Deluxe did a, a read of it. Mm. Okay, well, that makes sense. And this is a pretty well-known little article, so I'll only read a small excerpt of it. Uh, it goes as follows. 
nor would it be practical to have a cutoff based on individual maturity rather than age, since maturity is so subjective a criterion. Moreover, puberty is apparently arriving earlier, particularly amongst some ethnic groups. Based on the demographic criteria, the age of consent should be lowered. It should certainly not be as high as 17 or 16. Reasonable people can disagree over whether it should be as low as 14, but 15 would seem like an appropriate compromise. Perhaps there should be staircasing below 15 with the penalty increasing inversely with the age of the victim. Uh, imagine, imagine writing that into an arc, uh, an article's staircasing, Today? staircasing below 15. <laughs> it's a spectrum. You see, it's a spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. So much of our world is a spectrum now, isn't it? Um, so whether you agree with them or not, you have to say that, yes, if somebody wrote that article today in the LA times, they would be. Ripped to shreds. To shreds, you say? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I went in a different direction. I thought they would be like a... Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, if Dershowitz decided one day to identify as a woman, they would. (laughs) Isn't that true, Murray? (laughs) Murray, how about another joke? (laughs) Comedy subjective, Murray. (laughs) so uh our boy dershowitz a very complicated character i I really uh there's so much about him and there's so much that he releases himself he he is a harvard professor a well-known character and he has his own youtube channel that he uh he posts videos almost every day it's called the der show oh hosted by alan dershowitz and I have a link to it in the show notes, zososcorner.substack.com. This man will release like a half hour video every other day or every week, at least. Uh, and he will talk about whatever he's talking about the Trump indictment right now. So he's a very vocal guy. He's a very public guy. He doesn't hide behind anything. And from what I can tell from the comments under his, uh, under his videos, there are a lot of people that respect him very much and, value his input and, and are grateful that they can be part of it. And they express that. So there is that. And that is interesting. And if you have the time and you have the curiosity uh, to learn more about this Titan of law, then I would uh, recommend that you check out the Dur show and see if there's any topic that sticks out to you that do you might want to hear his part on. Do you think he's signed up for tip jar or Patreon for bonus content? Exclusive. <laughs> I will give him credit. I don't think this guy even knows what a paywall is as far as uh, entertainment is concerned. He doesn't give a shit. So in a way he is kind of value for value. (laughs) The fact that this Harvard educated super guy is like, Oh yeah, for free here. I'll tell you what's up. So yeah, there's that. The Dur show. (laughs) The Dur show. I don't like it. Yeah, it's it's a it's odd, and you know, obviously, it's a lot of fluff. With the clips that I pulled, I cut out a lot of just chaff and bullshit and uhs and ums. It's kind of like Elon Musk, except uh, 
he fills his, his space with just superfluous words. So that brings us to the diamond in the rough, Jamie Diamond. You ever heard of this guy? I have not. Jamie Diamond is the head of uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, one of the most powerful banks in the world. Uh, he is a friend of Epstein, and he personally uh, made sure that he was all right. If we, we'll, we'll cover this with a law, another law YouTube channel, because again, this isn't on the M5M. If you can play the first J.P. Morgan clip. There have also been allegations that a lot of famous new people knew about his activities. And now there's an allegation that a very uh, noteworthy person, Jamie Dimon, a head of a large bank, knew about his sex trafficking activities. Whoa. Short and sweet. And this is recent? Yeah, this, uh, this came out about two weeks ago. So this guy is in a little hot water. And as I, as I mentioned earlier, it's the private bank of the Rockefeller family, J.P. Morgan Chase. It started out that way. It'll always be that way. And as such, it's also the holder of many elite accounts, particularly within New York City, Eastern elitist accounts, and European accounts through New York City. So it's a very important bank, and a lot of shit goes through it. Um. Quick read on James Diamond. He was born on March 13th, 1956. Uh, Happy birthday a couple weeks ago. He's an American billionaire businessman and banker who's been the chairman and the chief executive of J.P. Morgan since 2005. He was on the board of directors of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. He has included in Time Magazine's 2006, 08, 09, and 11 lists of the world's 100 most influential people. He's an estimated net worth of about $2 billion. So let's see what he got wrong. Please play the second J.P. Morgan clip. Tell us how this allegation came to light that Jamie Dimon knew what Jeffrey Epstein was up to. Well, this came to light just yesterday in a hearing in the Virgin Islands case against J.P. Morgan. Now, J.P. Morgan, since late last year, has been facing multiple lawsuits uh, alleging that they essentially facilitated Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking scheme by being his bank of choice between 1998 to 2013. And what happened very recently in federal court in a a three-and-a-half-hour hearing was that a lawyer for the Virgin Islands government told a federal judge that they have emails suggesting that uh, a transfer of money from Epstein was going to hold, quote unquote, pending diamond review. She specified that that meant Jamie Diamond. And basically that that said this and what's even more noteworthy than the existence of this email is the date on it. It was August 2008. Now, why is that significant? Because in June 2008, Jeffrey Epstein pleaded guilty in Florida to soliciting prostitution of a minor. It was his first uh, brush with law enforcement. It was the one that got him uh, to become a convicted sex offender. And so a lot of this was known at just months earlier before Jamie Dimon was uh, allegedly reviewing Jeffrey Epstein's account. 
Oh, so you already got busted once. Yeah. Um, a lot of uh, people that are in real that are getting the real criticism are people that kept associating with him after this 2008 uh, indictment. Uh, Bill Gates being among them. So Bill Gates was flying on the Lolita Express well after t- 2008. And um, Diamond is being criticized or being uh, well prosecuted uh, by somebody who thinks that, yeah, that this isn't good, that this guy was, even though Epstein obviously was involved in something seedy, this guy and at the very top level, J.B. Morgan Chase at the very top was colluding. It was collusion. Wait, I'm, I might have missed her. Diamond wasn't convicted on anything. Not he's he's not yet. No. Okay, I'm sorry. I I miss miss uh miss He's her. being taken to court and he's a rich guy so he could probably weasel his way yeah. out of it. But he is uh, he is under the limelight right now for that. And it's obvious that given the the implication that Epstein was uh, making his money in very <laughs> shadowy ways that he was involved in something that was so high up that it involved the CEO of JP Morgan Chase, that he was the, the, the bank itself was complicit in an overarching scheme. Yeah. The, the guy at the top. Yeah. The guy. When the head of the bank is taking orders from someone, that's uh that's uh that, that goes high up. No doubt. No do to boot it. Uh, Let's go with the third clip real quick. So right now, there is a lot of scrutiny on Jamie Dimon. There, uh, the, a federal judge signed off on a subpoena that will allow the Virgin Islands government to find out what he knew, when he knew it. And right now, it comes at a very interesting time because J.P. Morgan recently Uh, filed a third-party complaint. That is to say, they sued one of their former executives, Jess Staley. And essentially, they're trying to say this was anything that uh, improper that happened with Jeffrey Epstein is because of this former executive, Jess Staley, who was their former senior executive. So they pin it on uh, middle management. later became mm-hmm. a CEO of a big bank himself, uh, of Barclays, stepped down because of Huge. his ties with Epstein. And they tried to essentially say it was his fault. And in that hearing yesterday, one of the things that the Virgin Islands uh, lawyer said is that if Mr. Staley is a rogue employee, why isn't Jamie Dimon? So the the basically what they're saying is clear that uh, the knowledge of what Jeffrey Epstein was doing, in, in their view, went straight to the top. And beyond. And beyond, it it has a shade of the uh, the Wells Fargo controversy where they were opening accounts for people without their consent, mm-hmm. and the way that Wells Fargo covered for that is by firing a bunch of middle manager guys that were just following orders. So, okay, we got rid of the problem. Middle management meet Greyhound, <laughs> and middle management is the way I describe a lot of these guys. I would describe Bill Gates as middle management. Easy, they are facilitators. It's probably at the welcome desk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Working security. When Bill Gates shows up to Bilderberg, they make him go get coffee. He's a total gopher. 
He's a gopher, man. He always has been. Hey, go get a pie. Yeah. Go get yourself a pie. Or sorry. Sorry. Go get us a pie. (laughs) (laughs) Go get us a pie, comrade. Uh, We'll top it off with my final uh, JP Morgan clip. Clip four, please. What does Jamie Diamond have to say about this, if anything? Now, J.P. Morgan had released a, a legal brief basically denying that he had anything to do with it. What he saw, what he reviewed when he was looking at this account and seeing whether there was something that should have sparked red flags under any sort of uh, anti-money laundering or any sort of other regulations that may exist is going to be a fierce subject of dispute as this lawsuit progresses. We're gonna we're gonna have to fight like hell. Yes, in the trenches. So yeah, they say, oh, he did no wrong. He's all right. Yeah, he's good. I can vouch right. for him. He ain't this guy, nothing. trust me. Yeah, come on. Are you serious? Him. This dude, you think he's part of some global scheme involving blackmail and child sex traffic? Come on. Jimmy D, come on. Come on. Come on. It's Jamie Diamond, I mean. He's got such a cool name. Yeah. Someone with a name like that? Nah. No way. You're crazy. You're smoking crack. <laughs> Good crack. Medical grade crack. Oh, uh, you hope? I bet that's what that hit sounds like. Mm. I can't stop staring at this image of uh, Hunter you got here in the show notes. <laughs> Nobody is above the law starter pack. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. I like... Uh, my my parting thought on the last clip is I like how, or the second to last clip, I should say, the guy who they tried to pin it on, other than Diamond, the guy who was under Diamond, he went on to run Barclays, which is one of the biggest fucking financial institutions in the world. So this guy played his part. These these guys are all complicit in the system that rewards them. It isn't it isn't a matter of they have to do it. It's that they, it's part of the. Well, it is a matter of they have to do it. They, if they want to get to where they are, they have to participate in this thing. They are all along the board people who <laughs> are just fitting into the groove of the vinyl. You know what I mean? This is the path of least resistance. This is the way that the world works. Yeah, and people have trouble figuring it out. It's just as normal to get out of bed and put your pants on one leg at a time. Yeah, or have your servants do it for you. Yeah. <laughs> servants, serve me. Servants, pants. Oh, give it to me. Come here, pants boy. <laughs> Where is that filthy pants boy? Mm. And as Bullish Seed says, Barclays, another laundering bank. It's the flow. There's a lot of illicit money that flows in this world. It gets laundered, it gets moved around, and Epstein was obviously a boil that caught a lot of that blood. And they had to fucking... What do you do with a boil? 
Yeah, Lance. You lance it. You lance it. And spewed about. And then uh, people have made the connection before that around the time that Epstein had his fall, that FTX and Sam Bankman Freed had their rise. So you could see that there maybe was a shifting of money. These are all shell companies that that move all of this illegal, all the they funnel all this dark money around through organization after organization so that it loses that that paper trail. It loses that dirty scent. I finally saw that clip of uh SBF and Tom Brady. Oh my goodness. Oh my. What did we you should- get yourself wrapped into, my Brady? <laughs> <laughs> Poor bastard was just probably like, "Hey, this is a solid investment. Put your put your money in it." And then, oops, just kidding. The world is a fucking rudderless mess. <laughs> stupid! You're so stupid. Yeah, and uh and Steph Curry, our local hero over here in the Bay Area, the one of the greatest basketball players alive, also got caught up in it. So, it was a big racket. I'm, I'm sure these rackets just churn through people. Just rip people apart. This collateral damage. The most well-loved athletes of our time are chewed up and spit out as collateral damage of this machine. It's so high up. So massive. Like 2,000 mummified ram heads in the desert. You just cannot ignore it. <laughs> it's... It's a statement of sorts. (laughs) Look upon my works, or don't. Actually, don't look upon my works in despair, is their motto. Look upon my field and see it is fertile. Mm Mm-hmm. You are my crop. Plow me. (laughs) (laughs) It's a mutual plowing. It's a give and take. I know nothing about any plow. That plow knows nothing about me. We never met. We never plowed together. I don't know that plow. (laughs) Have you ever thought about going into law? No. You sound like a lawyer there. I'd be terrible. I'd be terrible. (laughs) Your Honor, go fuck yourself. (laughs) Fuck you. Fuck Fuck you. you. Fuck you. You're not cool. Yeah. Fuck you. Most definitely fuck you. (laughs) It'd be great. That's how it used to be. Can't wait. Back in the day. Yeah. And challenge, challenge the dumb motherfucker to a duel right then and there. Mm -hmm, Let's take this mm -hmm. outside. Seven steps. I'll beat your ass in with my flintlock. (laughs) God damn. Anyway, it would be tempting. Would be tempting. I know it, it always is. It, it'd be uh, interesting to be a lawyer, you know, make that kind of money and go around and just just be a weasel forever. The simple life, boobs. Yep. Yes. Uh, any parting thoughts on Senor Epstein, Maxwell, all of these characters? Yeah, I just every single one of these individuals receive marching orders and it just it's a Ponzi scheme of epic proportions that 
Yeah. Everybody's got to be in. Yep. It's a pay-to-play system. And it just goes to show that there's a whole level of society that operates above us, below us, around us, and completely independent of us. And it uh, behooves people to know that and not get so stuck up in their own little bubbles. Look up at the sky. Look down in the ground. See what's around. And this thing just continues to be a never-ending cesspool of, wow, this is fucked up. Every step of the way. Do you think it'll ever get resolved or just kind of peter off into American myth? I think that uh, these people are not going to live easy lives, and I think that we're doing our part, and I think that, you know... You you take what you're given. These guys have made their decision. We've made ours. And I think that just talking about it and bringing it to light is more than enough to put the pressure on them meme. to have to continue to perform. Meme the fuck out of it. Yeah. That's what we got. I mean, there's a reason why Bill Gates has bulletproof windows. You know? <laughs> Bill Gates has pie-proof windows. <laughs> you know, he should be masking up more than anybody. You know, the full-on, like, uh, face mask with the protection from the pie. <laughs> That's the Bill Gates theme song. Exactly. Hmm. Now, I would like to give you the option, Sir Booberry, Mothman of the Miniocalypse. If you would like to wrap up the show now, we could possibly do that. I also have prepared, if we wanted, a small reading from Man, Myth, and Magic, if you'd like to do that as well. Let's see here. I have the the clip that I sent you, the one that isn't numbered. Uh, if you want to do it, then then give me the word, and then I'll signal you to turn on that clip. I I have uh, volume one. Uh, the A's, you see, it smells like the old way, the old libraries. We should hit it, shall we? Yeah. All right, I'm going to throw some topics at you. Aberdeen Witches, Abominable Snowman, Abracadabra, Achilles, Acupuncture, Africa, Agrippa, Alchemy, Alexander the Great, Algonquin Indians, All Hallows Eve, mm. Alphabet, Altar, Amazons. Mm. Alphabet. Alphabet? Let's do it. Guess what page Alphabet's on? 33. 69. Oh, <laughs> shit. Oh, shit. Now, uh, if you could please hit the non-numbered clip and light that fire. Uh, you most certainly. There you go. Wow. The fire going here. Yeah. Nice and that. Huh? It's getting real late out there, so we've got to keep warm. No doubt. The alphabet from Man, Myth, and Magic, an illustrated encyclopedia of the supernatural. 
Writing is a mysterious and a magical art. In many primitive and ancient societies, it was assumed that the gods must have invented this marvelous method of capturing speech and turning it into visible form. In the ancient world, the fact that most people could not write or read what was written, and thought those who could were usually priests, uh, brought writing a reputation as a great hidden wisdom. And its use in inscriptions on the tombs of the dead gave it a close connection with the other world. That's right. The other world. Yes! Yes! Now, the Egyptians called the picture writing, which they called carved on the walls of tombs and temples, the speech of the gods. There you go. Reference to Ramses right there. The Greeks called the Egyptian letters hieroglyphs, sacred carvings, because they came from the gods, and because they were pictures, the hieroglyphs had magical powers. One of the basic laws of magic is that a picture or a symbol does not merely refer to the thing it represents, it actually is the thing. In Egypt, for instance, a hieroglyph, which is a picture of an animal, sometimes had to be used in an inscription inside a tomb, and it was feared that it might come alive, and that the animal might eat the food provided for the dead man, or even eat the dead man himself. And to prevent this, the hieroglyph would be left incomplete, or drawn in two halves, so that the whole animal could not appear. The letters used in Northern Europe in the early centuries after Christ were also powerful in magic. They were called runes, which come from the root meaning mystery or secret, surviving in the modern Germanic word runen, to whisper. The art of writing with a pen did not reach Northern Europe until Christian missionaries brought it with them from the south, and the runes were carved on wood tombstones, jewels, swords, armor, other equipment. Inside a tomb, it was thought that runes would keep evil forces away from the dead, or sometimes they were meant to stop the corpse from creeping out of its grave. They were cut on the tombstones to prevent people from destroying them or to steal them. Part of an inscription on a Swedish gravestone says, This is the meaning of runes. I hid here magic runes undisturbed by evil witchcraft. He who destroys this monument shall die in misery by magic art. This inscription inscription would serve by itself to bring the gravestone's destroyer to a miserable end, obviously, because in magic, a symbol is what it stands for. To write down a wish or a curse in symbols automatically gives effect to what is written. In the same way, runes were engraved on swords to make them irresistible in battle, as in the case of a sword named Mar. May Mar spare nobody. The earliest known forms of writing go back to about 20,000 BC and were drawn on the walls of caves. There were pictures of animals and of men, and also of geometric shapes and patterns. Nobody can be sure of the meaning, but they probably had some religious and magical significance. Broadly speaking, the development of systems of writing 
runs through three main stages. First comes pictographic writing, which means simply drawing pictures. For example, uh, a circle with a dot in the middle means the sun, and uh, the five-pointed star meaning star. Next, you have the ideographic writing. The pictures meaning broadens out to include ideas or concepts associated with the things shown. Now, sun, or the circle with the dot in the middle, means not only the sun, but it also means light and heat and all those other things which come from the sun, and day over which the sun presides. Now, the trouble with ideographic writing is not merely that the same picture may have several different meanings, which causes confusion, but also that there are a great many words in any language which cannot easily be represented in pictures. And so that leads us to phonetic symbols, which stand for sounds. Phonetic writing can be extraordinarily complicated. There are over 50,000 Chinese symbols for which stand different sounds or combinations of sounds. The triumph of the development of an alphabet, a triumph of simplicity, is the use of a small number of symbols which can be used in combination to represent all the words of a language. And for this achievement, David Deeringer says, simple as it is now, the inventor or the inventors are to be ranked among the greatest benefactors of mankind. It is not surprising that this brilliant invention was regarded long ago sacred and magical. And Deeringer's theory is that all of the world's magic alphabets are descended from one original, Invented somewhere, maybe in Syria, or Palestine, or maybe even the land bridge between the great civilizations of Egypt and Mesopotamia, uh, some 4,000 or 5,000 years ago. And I'll end with this. Yeah, words are magic, words are powerful, and if you know how to use the right words, you certainly can create uh, quite the impact. That's true. Wow. That was super fun. Wasn't that nice? I yeah. I <laughs> we should do this for every show. <laughs> well, you know, I, I like it. a Just nice big fire. The 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 fire's going. I don't know where this um orchestra came from, but that's super <laughs> sick. I hid that one in there a little bit. Yeah. I don't know how you found all the chairs for them, but very cool. Well, you know, they're there's a lot of uh, poor musicians out there, so a lot of voluntary action going on. <sighs> nice. And yes, what a, indeed. What, what a great topic. The alphabet. The alphabet. Yes, the written word, the most important thing of all. It runs the world. And it runs our minds. It goes back to uh, one of the very first episodes that we did when I first came on, which was uh, the voice in your head. Mmm. The imp. And the uh, Bicambrian mind. Yes, the imp. Yes, the imp. Imp. Yeah. As long as you know words, you can have a conversation with yourself. <laughs> Never be <laughs> bored again. <laughs> we think it's great. <laughs> so again, that was a reading from Man, Myth, and Magic. An encyclopedia, an encyclopedia of the supernatural, which was mostly organized by Richard Cavendish. So thank you, sir. I know somebody that just picked up the whole set. 
Nice. Uh, Cratchit, he went out and found himself a copy. Really? Oh, yeah. Good for him. Yeah, dude. Uh, I guess they came out of a super musty basement. He said they were smelling pretty gross. Mm. Yeah, all these uh, all these books smell a little musky. Musky? But, you know, that's part of the charm, right? Uh, sometimes it can be a little overpowering, just depending on the environment that you pull them out of. <laughs> just smoke more cigarettes. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> nah, we uh, pulled a bunch of books out of my grandmother's trailer, and just a lot of moisture had gotten in there over the years, and just, you know, the paper, it'll suck it up. It mm-hmm. smells like that trailer for years later. Yeah, it's like a sponge. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's, well, thanks for listening to my reading. Yeah, that was I, I like that. Kind of giving me ideas. Oh, yeah. I like it. Keep it going. I like it. Let's, uh, we do have a text message. Oh, yeah? Um, and the uh, <laughs> texter says, winner of, the, uh, winner of $15 hot dog, last scream. that comes in Uh, from uh, sir candinavian want to pass out out, uh uh hot dog prizes thank you for sharing my pain sir candinavian everybody can not appreciate a 15 dollar hot dog it's tough it's a tough gig Especially with fucking cheese whiz on it, you break. Mmm, delicious. Let's uh, let's see what our last caller tonight has. If you guys use your imagination, just act like that was still the same like end of Hog Story vocal mail, and it went straight into behind the scenes. Because that's usually just the default order that I go in. So, yeah. Anyway. Lavash. Yo. How you doing? Doing great, man. How you doing? Clean up all night. Get all lavished up. No. And, uh, Mr. Booberry Mothman of the uh, Cap on the Lamp. Yes. Hello. What's going on? Uh, we're hanging it's out. another moan day. It is. You know? There's probably some goats getting slaughtered as we speak. No. True. So as you speak, and maybe it's like this is getting played. I don't know. Maybe there's, there's like something. Two, 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 more goats were put together slaughtered. than slaughtered. But, you know, that's what Behind the Schemes is about. I mean, there's something about screaming. Eh, slight irritation, I guess. I don't, it's not really like a super, like, a rah, you know, like rattle the wall scream. But, like, when. When somebody texts like, hey, can you do this thing tomorrow? I'm like, sometimes, yeah, stuff comes up, you know, last minute. We get it, you know, or they already had help, and then that help fell through or something was a little bit bigger than they thought kind of thing. And somebody asked for to help with a load-in for something. And, uh, you know, so it's like, yeah. But it's like, why you text me today? And then, like, you're like, oh, yeah, the major load-in, it's at this time tomorrow. And I'm like. Well, if you knew about it, why didn't you ask earlier than the day before? So, you know, like a <laughs> little bit of like, ah! Oh, my uh, God. The most scream. But just, 
you know, like, hey, think about that thing. If you need other people's help, like, you're more likely going to get it if it's, you know, about it ahead of time, right? Right. So. Right. But, yeah, right. just kind of think right. ahead. Who else might need to be getting involved in this? Maybe give them a little bit of forewarning. Maybe you'll get a little bit more help if you give them more notice. But, yeah. All right. Well, that's really all there was going on. I mean, got to go to the ocean and stuff with the wife over the weekend. Nice. But, uh, yeah, anyway. All right. Well, this be that. Love you, guys. And, uh, Love you. You know, stay dangerous. And whether or not you know ahead of time or you don't know until the last minute, you can always just go ahead and go. You know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Kaka. Kaka. Mm, thank you, as always, for calling Sir Christopher Battles. Yes, and I, I know that pain all too well. Hey, can you be in St. Paul in 10 minutes and you're over an hour and a half away? Nope. Yeah. Well, that's your fault for not being able to teleport, buddy. It's funny because I've seen this fucking billboard announcing the show for months. That's weird. How is it that everybody knew that this was coming except for you? Hmm. Hmm. Distracted. Hmm. My goodness. Uh, well, that was, uh, that was all the scream mails that we got. You can always call us during the week. 612-263-7999 is that number. Call us up. Uh, tell us what's on your mind or you can scream. Uh, whatever you want to do, it's your playground. That's right. 612-263-7999. We want to hear from you. Uh, you know, if you know us, we'd like to hear from you. If you don't know us, we'd like to hear from you. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people around here, so we want to hear from you. want to hear what's on your mind. 612-263-7999. Uh, we do have... A guest to look, for, uh, excuse me, a pair of guests to look forward to here at the end of April on, uh, what was that Monday? The 24th of April, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll have Joe and Jen from the Legit Bat Podcast on with us. Indeed, indeed. Uh, have so. them on. They're very nice folks. We were on their show uh, in October of last year. Uh, I don't remember what the date was. I feel I like believe it was, it was late September, early October of yeah, last year. Before the snow. Yeah. And they were very kind. So we're very much looking forward to having them on. They're very interesting people. Wouldn't want to miss it. Yes. It'll be great. Looking forward to it. Yeah, you're looking forward to it. Yeah. We do this show live every Monday night. You can come check us out, badradio.live, starting 7.30, 9.30, 10.30 Eastern, respectively. You can also catch us on the No Agenda stream. That's right. We're live every single Monday night. No Agenda stream, BTS stream, whatever you want. We're a value-for-value value production, which means that we don't have ads. We don't have any corporate sponsorship, and that's why we can talk about what we want to talk about. And if you want free open media, I'm talking real free open media, then please uh, support us and support anything that you uh, enjoy that gives you this level 
of free information. You can find us at zososcorner.substack.com, behindtheschemes.com, loveislit.com, badradio.live, on and on. Uh, spook.social, if you want a new culty, uh, you know. <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little culty. It's just a little bit in a good way. Social media uh, platform, you know, it needs to be a little culty. It's come on through. Be. That's what sells it. Yeah. <laughs> we like it. It ain't gonna grift itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're grifters who never ask for money. No. It's a new model. Uh, I'm not gonna ask for... Actually... <laughs> I'm going to go a different route. I'm going to try and not gun down the rest of No Agenda Social. This has been Booberry, Black Knight of the Mothman. And all the way from the bereft coast where love is the currency. My name is Lavish. See you, bros. Kind of cool. It's not all dudes here. This guy is a liar! That's how you do it. It's, it they're, they're exactly what the New World Order wants. It was bad radio. Behind the scenes, you're calling yourself. Oh, yeah!